0: Hey everyone, it's Chris Yod here, just jumping in real quick, before the podcast begins, to let you know that this week's episode of The Emperor Podcast was recorded yesterday, on Thursday July 7th, before we learned of the sad news of the death of the legendary James Khan. We've tried in the period since to reconvene the team, both in the studio and virtually, but we have proved unable to do so. So therefore, we have decided to leave our tribute to James Caan until next week's episode, when we can give him the time and the tribute that he and his incredible career deserve. So just wanted to give you a heads up. And now, on with this week's show. This week, after suffering severe delays due to leaves on the line, the railway children return after 52 years and we talk to their leader, the legendary Jenny Agater. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that felt, in the end, there was no other option for him but to resign. I mean, once he lost the support of his chief allies, the people eater and the bullet farmer, the game was up for the Morton Joe, who is now sending his war rig To resign town. Mediocre. (laughs) Hello, Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Emperor Podcast. For the last time ever, we are recording this in the gray, depressing pod booth. Very, very sad days indeed. We're not stopping the show, we're we're moving. We're moving to a new brighter studio, or so I'm told. (laughs) So I'm told. But this is it. James is taking a picture. Everyone, Mm. smile very sad, so sad, so sad to believe in the Great Depression. Uh, but nevertheless, we're going to be upbeat for the final show here in our little studio. And I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. No Helen O'Hara this week, but we do have our great big fucking nerd, James Dyer. Hello, Hello James. How are you? I am okay, thank you. Memories of this place, quickly.
1: Yeah, I remember the time when we almost caught COVID
0: from Jim Cummings. That was fun. Uh...
2: <laughs> Again, have
0: to have to make it clear, <laughs> we did not nearly catch COVID from Jim Cummings. It turns out he didn't have COVID. Yes, so
1: he said... <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's fun. I've changed... We've turned on the screens. We never have the screens on, so yes. obviously this is, this is an audio last hurrah. Yeah. Obviously, the screens were a very pleasing shade of yellow and emblazoned with the logo for the Pilot TV it's podcast yellow, when we say, came but in. Uh, but this is... But this we've is,
0: changed them now, and they are the glorious much nicer. Empire logo. Yeah. We're also joined by the one-armed man. <laughs> Fresh from framing Richard Kimball for the murder of his wife, <laughs> it is John Nugent. He is back. John's broken his arm, by the way. Yes. Oh, shoulder, John? a Should- uh, Collarbone, actually. Collar- I yes. broke my collarbone did when you? I was a kid. Did you? It's excruciating pain. Yeah, it's not a fun one to break. No, it's
3: not. I wouldn't recommend it. How did you break yours? It's like cream eggs. <laughs> <laughs> How did you break yours? Um, uh, I fell off my bike, is the short answer. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer
1: the long answer. I've got to be honest with the you.
3: The long the long answer is um okay, so I went to the, the premiere of Miss Marvel, um and I may have partook in some of their complimentary cocktails. Is it partook or
1: partaken? After a few of them it doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> yeah. At are the you time
0: still, it was partook. You, are, you still, are you partaking right now?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I I had partaken and partook. <laughs> Both partaken and partook of some very delicious cocktails, but uh-huh. um, but yeah, I do have Kevin Feige to blame for this. Accident. And you will now be suing him. Mm. Yes. Uh, superheroes have gone too far. the, yeah. the, the Superhero
0: whole... injury lawyers for you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> dot com.
3: Yeah. No, I just, it was just clumsiness, really. It was, It's was really my own fault. I just, I got okay. my bag caught in the front wheel and f- oh, flew no. over the handlebars um, and had to have surgery. So yes, I'm currently in a sling. You can't see it if you're listening, but yeah. Helmet? I do, I was wearing a helmet, unless that's... Oh, uh,
0: yes, this is the way, John. Uh, um,
3: This uh, is the way. Some sort yeah. of innuendo. Um,
0: no, 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 no. Just make sure everything's fine. Little John's okay, <laughs> which, is, which is nice. Um, but yeah, I broke my collarbone when I was... Four or five years old, and uh, no alcohol was involved, but but my sister was involved. So uh, we were we were playing a game of well, I don't even it's not even a game, but we were playing Buck Rogers in the twenty fifth century, and she was tying me up. I was Buck Rogers, and she was tying me up on her on her bed, and. Um, she was tying me up with all these garish because it was the 80s, and she was tying me up with all these these garish yellow and green belts that were the fashion at the time. And then she rolled me off the bed. and uh, our house was quite old, and each bedroom had a stone fireplace in the bedroom, and I landed smack, bang <sighs> damn, you know on my uh, on my collarbone. Yikes. broke my collarbone uh screaming down the house. My parents were in bed, woke them up, they came running out to see what was happening. By that time my sister had the presence of mind to take the belts off me and get into bed, <laughs> pretend to be asleep. Oh, what's happened? What's happened? And and you know, the story was I was just I was just larking around, yeah. fell off the bed and broke my collarbone. And despite my protestations, they didn't believe me for years really? until she came clean. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow! wow. And how
3: old were you both this time? She was.
0: She's seven years older. She was about eleven or twelve. So she was old enough to know better. Yeah. As were you, John Nugent. <laughs> but there you go. It's it's tough. It's you know. It's not a fun one. It's not yeah. a fun one. It,
3: it's connected to lots of other things. The knee bone, the knee bone, the thigh <laughs> the bone, <laughs>
0: wishbone yeah. and all sorts
3: of stuff. Yeah. Uh. Well, it's good to have. But you I'm on here. the
0: mend. It's, all it's good. good. Oh, that's good. That's good to know. And uh, but hey, listen. That's two colleagues of such lethal cunning. This week we are joined, very excited about this, by an honorary colleague of such lethal cunning. Uh, uh, he is the genius editor. And I'm going to say genius editor and look you in the eyes, Eddie Hamilton, uh, behind <laughs> Top Gun Maverick. He's currently working, but not right now, uh, on Mission Seven and Eight. It is, of course, the wonderful Eddie Hamilton. Welcome. Hello, True
2: Believers. Thank you very much for <laughs> <laughs> Nav Shed, Eddie Hamilton. Wow. <laughs> How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm a big fan of the show. Big fan of the magazine. Been reading it since 1989. Shows how old I am, but I, uh, <laughs> same. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm thrilled. It's, it's an honour to be invited to join. Thanks, Chris.
0: Well, thanks for joining us, Eddie. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> the door. Is there? So yeah, this must be in a tremendously exciting period. Don't worry, I'm not going to go fishing for mission seven and eight tit tat or yeah. info. But tell us or the best bit. Yeah, what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. What <laughs> happens at the end of Did mission? Did she die at the end?
2: <laughs> <laughs> but this must be an exciting time for you. Yeah, uh, it's, Top Gun it's, doing it's unbelievable. Like you know we we worked i worked on top gun maverick for 2 years uh, one year uh, in la one year in london and then the last sort of s- several months were all in lockdown obviously and we finished the film in july 2020 so it's been you know nearly 2 years to wait for it to come out the most number of people i'd seen the film with was 8 because of lockdown so we never saw it with a crowd so w- none of us who made the film really knew if it played or if the jokes worked or if people got excited or whatever And so, you really miss that uh, sense of sitting in an audience and watching it. And we only had that. I only had that experience when we, when I went to Cannes um, at the beginning of May and watched it at the Palais, and it was just amazing. You work so hard on something, and you you hope it's going to work, and then. The worldwide audience response has just been beyond anything any of us expected. To be honest, you can go. Your you work in the film industry. You dream of working on a movie that has some kind of cultural significance. You know, like the original Top Gun, which was a huge milestone in my you know movie going passion love. You know, and uh, didn't see many films in the cinema as a youngster because my parents weren't really into it. So all the times I saw a movie in a theater were just like these heavenly spiritual hmm. experiences of watching <laughs> the majesty unfold on the big screen you know and i love 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 movies and to have been to have played a part in a film that has you know been embraced so warmly by audiences is is insane it could you know it may only happen once in your career some people it never happens so i'm hmm. so incredibly grateful and and thrilled that for the whole team that the movie's done well and you know we carried around the weight of expectation while we were making the movie desperate for it not to suck, you know, and and desperate because (laughs) let's let's be honest, 99% of the audience sitting down to watch a sequel to Top Gun are sitting there with their arms crossed thinking, what are you doing? You're going to fail. It's a disaster. You know, please don't destroy this memory that I have of this film. And, you know, so we, we really poured every ounce of love and passion and dedication and you know the spirit of tony scott and you know the love of the original movie to to make sure that we we welcomed people back into the world of top gun and just gave them a great night at the movies and didn't disappoint them and we we haven't it seems so i'm so completely thrilled i can't (laughs) tell you what a relief it is i can't (laughs) tell you you know it's just amazing i'm still processing it you know it's very exciting
0: so you were finished in 2020,
4: July, yeah, yeah, July
2: 2020. We wow. were the first film back to mix at the sound mixing studio at Twickenham after lockdown. And the sound mixer Mark Taylor had the previous film that he did was No Time to Die, which they finished before the lockdown happened in March. And Tom Cruise said, "This film has to be sonically perfect from beginning to end. We are not compromising on a single second of the quality of this sound." <laughs> I mix.
0: say the same thing about the podcast. Anyway. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
2: <laughs> One day I'll get there. And so, so we actually spent, you know, seven weeks mixing this movie, which is, which is, you know, they did No Time to Die in three weeks, and it's a three-hour movie, and ours is like two hours fifteen or two hours eight. So, you know, we we dialed in every single tiny sound and piece of dialogue and sound effect and music and everything was just and then Tom would come in and watch you know each 20 minute chunk of the movie and give us notes and but what you hear is exactly what we wanted no compromise at all so I'm and and I think you know when you watch the movie the your ears don't get tired which is always a challenge when you're working on gigantic action movies to make sure that there's enough variation in the you know frequencies and and the music doesn't conflict with the sound effects and they don't conflict with the dialogue and everything's just easy to listen to and you know i know uh that may be a little bit you know nerdy for for a lot of listeners but we we really dialed it in and like took a lot of care and again we were just carrying around this like weight of like please please make sure this film is awesome and doesn't (laughs) suck and doesn't (laughs) let people down you know so but it's great it's awesome well you might have pulled it off just you know, I'm I'm so thrilled. <laughs> just, just, just out there. Have you right. seen
0: it yet, James? It's very, it's very good. <laughs> yes, actually. thank you.
1: So much for that. Now, was obviously, you have edited the edited the cinematic event of the year, and I edit the Pilot TV podcast. So I think we're kind of peers. We're kind of on a level. We're roughly <laughs> of <Jeez>. equal skill <laughs> levels. Twice. So uh, you know, so as a, as a colleague, you know, yeah. I'm just just curious. Like, it, like, does it kind of blow your mind that obviously as go a, back as a peer, <laughs> as a peer, oh, as, you a know, peer, as yeah. someone who's of a similar peer, skill set, peer to peer? Yeah, <laughs> as I tinker away in audition, um, uh, you know. But like, is it wild to think that there was a point where you'd have been cutting this with a razor blade? You know, like literally. Oh,
2: oh, oh. I, I can't tell you. I mean, Chris <laughs> Lebenson came on to help me for a few months on this. So I got to ask him all about cutting the original Top Gun and Days of Thunder and, you know, all the other movies that he worked on. I, he, he told me a story about Days of Thunder where... There was so much footage coming in, and I think there were two of them, Billy Weber and Chris Lebens in editing. They, they used to get eight Steenbecks, which was a way of loading actual film print onto a, a, a viewer, like a, like a portable desk-sized kind of viewing screen. They would get eight of them in a room, right with With one assistant editor on each steambeck, so they would have four cameras running on one steambeck on one set of steambecks and four on the other, and the editors would watch four screens at <laughs> once and they would point whenever something good happened that bit, that yeah bit. exactly and then the assistant would jam a china pencil down on the film and they would mark it like <laughs> nice. that and they that's how they'd go through the dailies because there was so much coming in and now we're doing similar things on top Gun where there's you know, cameras mounted to f eighteen. Yeah, but how many hours of f- footage did
1: you have? Because it was mental, it? It's wasn't true,
2: 813 <laughs> hours of footage. <laughs> oh Nearly 814 hours. Yeah. Release the 814-hour cut. <laughs> <Yes. Four. laughs> Let's start a grassroots movement like now. Like four and a half million feet of film in old money. And I remember, you know, Apocalypse Now was very famously that, you know, a million or million and a half feet of film and it, you know the 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 I, I try and describe when people say, "So what does an editor actually do? I say, <laughs> "Just imagine you have a hundred thousand jigsaw pieces, <laughs> all right, and a thousand of them are the correct pieces for the movie, mm-hmm. for the jigsaw, and you have to you have to find the thousand pieces and then put them together in the right order in order to to tell the story the best way it can possibly be told it, to give you an idea of the colossal size of the puzzle of a film like that but you have time to do it and you have great resources and I had a great team working with me who kind of assist me to break down the footage and label each line of dialogue and where the, what the pilots are doing And but there's, there, I still go through it all there's no substitute for physically going through it and checking that you've got every awesome shot of a jet mm. so we have every single 10 out of 10 shot that they filmed is definitely in the movie I can promise you <laughs> Is, uh, is there
3: going to be deleted scenes? Is there going to be? It's a good question.
2: This, I don't know. There are there are a couple of deleted scenes, but I'm not sure if if they'll make it <laughs> onto if they'll maybe, get out there. I don't know. I mean, we
0: 811 hours of deleted scenes, which yeah, <laughs> I like know is a Blu-ray box set or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing is,
2: it's so hard to film jets that 99 percent of the footage is just not awesome. And, People and, throwing up in the back y- of planes. Yeah, and, you have to have yeah. only awesome shots yeah. in Top Gun, and so. You know, all the night, the the scene, the scenes were longer, and there were a lot of nine out of ten and eight out of ten shots. But then, eventually, when we just kept kept compressing the movie, all the all those shots popped out of the timeline. So you're only left with the ten out of ten shots in the movie. So it, it blows my mind. But but what is insane is that I did edit like at least half of the time on a macbook pro laptop with a, with a 96 terabyte hard drive attached because <laughs> i was in on at naval bases on the west coast of the of the us seven different naval bases we filmed that so i'd literally be working in a naval base on a desk in a in a you know f-18 briefing room uh and then i was working in hotel rooms and i was working in cars and on planes you know on a, on a when i was traveling back and forth to places and so, so it's insane to think that you can edit a movie on on a laptop, but it's you can. So, it's what nuts. about
0: the backups? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've edited stuff, and you know, even though I backup, sometimes a backup doesn't work, yeah. and yeah. sometimes it'll just it, it's crash. It's interesting.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, you you we're gonna get super nerdy now, guys. <laughs> do it. Let's do <laughs> it. You can. You can. Um, on. My backups automatically save every five minutes, uh-huh. so so I know if if I crash, I lose a maximum of five minutes of work, and we have uh three copies of all the files so all the master files as well as like backup tapes but we have three copies i have a copy my team has a copy in la and we have another copy in london so it's very unlikely that we'll lose anything
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wasn't the thing? It was when the three fat structure was I think might even been my fat. That thing was it? Toy Story Two. Toy Story Two. Yeah. Was where they lost deleted. the film. 100% yeah.
2: true. Yeah. yeah. You can you can go on YouTube and type in how Toy Story <laughs> Two got deleted, and it's a fun yeah. they made a little animated short film about how there was a single backup of it. Some one of the technical directors was on maternity leave, right? Yeah. And she had she had yeah. left a backup trickling to her house every night. And they were all called into the office on Friday morning and they said, we've lost Toy Story. <laughs> you know, and it was with something like with four months to go till release or, or some crazy yeah. number like that. And she, she quietly at the back just put her hand up and said, I think I've got a backup at home. And everyone just looked around at her. I've just got pay rise. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they drove to her house and they found this hard drive sitting attached to her computer. And and with the godlight shining on it, yeah, with the godlight shining on it, you know, and they wrapped it in bubble wrap and they carried it back like it was a pharaoh, you know, back back to Pixar headquarters, and they plugged it in and they got it all back by the end of the day. So, yeah, and if you read, there's an amazing book by Ed Catmull called um, Creativity Inc. If you haven't read that, it is a fantastic book Mm -hmm. about enabling creativity in other people, and he talks about the story in there. So I highly recommend that book. Uh, all right. Well, uh,
0: Eddie. Eddie dropped me a line and said, uh, "Hey, listen. Can I? Can I?" You know, big fan of the podcast, and can I sit in and watch you guys record the episode? And so he—that's why he's here today. That's what he thought was going to happen. He did not realize he was going to be fourth chair in it, uh, hoist by your own guitar in Hamilton. But look, what can you do? <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Uh, it's it's all good. It's all good. But before we we get into this week's listener question, which is a doozy and one of those ones that you can think on your feet uh, when you're answering it, you don't need to prep for this one. Uh, one last question about Top Gun Maverick: toughest sequence to edit.
2: Definitely like the final mission. So the last half hour of the movie, mm. that was incredibly difficult. You're you, you're balancing so many parallel storylines because you're intercutting between Maverick and Rooster and Payback and Fanboy and Phoenix and Bob. And then you're intercutting with the with the carrier, you're intercutting with the you know the two Sioux-57s, the enemy. And anytime you're telling multiple, you know, parallel stories like that, getting the balance of uh, and the rhythm so that you you are connected to each character and you're not but the scene isn't outstaying its welcome and it's consistently exciting but you also understand the geography and the times and you know one minute the 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 Sus will be there in 2 minutes the and then roosters slowing down it's like there's so <laughs> many b- parallel stories and when you watch the movie it all just kind of flows and works because we worked on it for for months and months and uh the final battle in the air you know Maverick and Rooster against the the enemy Su-57 fifth gen fighter you know that took a very long time but um, I would definitely I mean the final mission it took me 3 months to build like the first long pass of that uh, it was insane and I remember there's <laughs> there was there was one friday where i did 7 <laughs> seconds okay <laughs> i'm not joking i'm not joking i got to the end of the day and i looked at my timeline and i went I've done seven seconds today and, and I, it wasn't anything to be proud of. I did four seconds in the morning and three seconds in the afternoon. And it was the bit where Maverick and uh, Phoenix are having to, they're diving up, they're, they're climbing up, ready to do their inverted yeah. popover down to towards the, um, you know, the enemy base. Uh, the exhaust port right below the main port. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Where stay on target. Exactly, the exactly. There's some womp rats. we put a couple of womp rats in there, <laughs> just, to, just for scale. Um, but that I remember there were so many options, and the, the there was the same kinds of jet footage for for um Rooster and Payback and Fanboy who were coming along like straight after. And I remember I, I had so many options, and I was just, I was, I was telling myself, this has to be awesome, this has to be awesome. And uh, and it just took me ages to comb through everything and like find the perfect combination of shots to to build that seven seconds of story. But I remember wow. on Saturday morning waking up and going, Oh my word, this is it's it's a it's just a colossal puzzle. I can't tell you. <laughs> but you you just with anything, you just have to start start on the journey and not really look down until until you've kind of done half of it and then you can celebrate and then you're back in and then you just keep. But I remember after three months, um, I showed it to Tom Cruise. There was a Saturday where he came in and watched, and it was clear that the sequence was it was long, but it was definitely going to work. So we knew that it was going to be fine and it was going to be awesome, which was a huge relief, you know.
1: I've got a really nerdy question. This is probably detailed, but like, yeah. I'm. Fascinated to know what the process is from where you begin because I always like assume that's on a much smaller scale. Like when we write a magazine feature, yeah, like we do a whole bunch of interviews. We have an idea of what we want to say, and then yes. you end up, or at least you just do, like printing out all the interviews and going on with a highlighter. I want to use that quote. I want to use that quote yes. from this person, that quote from there, yes, and then yes. sometimes I use color coding for different people. Hundred yes. percent. So it's like, how do you assemble all of the fucking eight hundred hours of shit? Yes. And then do you have detailed storyboards that you're working from? Like, how are
2: you? There are some storyboards. Yeah, there are some storyboards. Joe Kaczynski did a lot of storyboards but the storyboards are they're they're like an ideal version of a shot and then when you're trying to film jets going at 700 miles an hour for real from the ground or from another jet or from a helicopter you get what you get you yeah. know it's it's very difficult on a on a massive long lens to hold the jets in shot so you get these incredible um, dynamic shots with huge ground rush or clouds whizzing past. But you you get, you know, it's like, here comes the jet, quick, 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 get it, get it, oh, missed it, oh, you know. And so you never get the ideal shot that's in the storyboard. So you're constantly trying to kind of reconstitute the footage into a different way and you're reinventing the story based on what you have compared to what you thought you might need and all that stuff. But... um you just, I'm just super methodical. I just break it all down into. So there were lots of different pieces of geography that the jets flew through for that final mission, and I would sort of say, right, well, this was the orange area. This was the red. We color coded it so the pilots yeah. knew. The the Top Gun pilots flying would know which part of the 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 terrain they needed to fly over with the actors, and just just very slowly broke it down and not and and just stay calm, and then s- start building it from the beginning, putting you know shots on the timeline and. And, and the main thing is, if you're editing and, and you, you think it's shit, it always is, right? It, it's just, <laughs> it, you're like, this is no good. But you have to just keep going. Like, sometimes you know, writers talk about doing a vomit draft of something, just getting something on yeah. the page. We the published
3: moment... a few of those. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the, moment, the moment you have something on the page, you can actually make a creative decision yes. about which way to go. But when you've got nothing, mm. it's impossible. So I just force myself to keep going and just get to the end. And then you can look at something mm. as a whole. And then your your creative instinct starts to kick in and you, you, you start to kind of go, OK, that could be better. We can do this. We can try this, swap those things over, do this, do this. And um, Joe and Chris McQuarrie and Tom Cruise, Jerry Bruckheimer, they're all very involved in the editing process and they're all extremely good at it. And so uh, as a collaboration, it's enormously creatively fulfilling because the film like improves just hour by hour throughout the day as you're working on it. But you just try not to get overwhelmed by the massive huge puzzle, and mm. you just focus on, like, let's do this 20 seconds, and let's do that. you know, that's how you do it. Look,
1: if you've got lots of sort of shots of one particular, sort of take one particular scene, do you go
2: through and say, that's a nine, that's an eight, that's a six, yeah, exactly. and literally just grade them, yeah, like, yeah. everything below a nine goes, and then yeah, we look at that. that's exactly right, like, yeah. I, I have little markers on the timeline, and depending on how many green markers I put on something is how good the <laughs> shot is, and so I'll make sure that all the the ones with, like, two or three markers are, are prioritised. Um, and what
0: about the advances i mean so i listen to the better call Saul insider podcast yes. every week which is hosted by that show's editor or one of the show's editors yeah. chris mccaleb and so they often talk about the editing process yeah. and how how there have been advances and what you can do yeah and he'll talk about how you can take the audio from one take and and put it yeah. onto a you know and make sure it matches with an actor's mouth yeah. from another take because yeah. the performance is we, slightly we better we do that but, all
2: the time yeah
0: and you can you can blend maybe half of one take with half of another take
2: yeah. digitally as we well we do all that wow yeah, that, you that that, I mean, George Lucas pioneered that in episode one. I think I remember Did he, he? that was the first time that anyone had gone, let's take this character from this part of the scene and this character from this part of the scene and composite them into two, into a single <laughs> shot with, you know, we're adjusting the timing. And the thing is, there's there's all these amazing tools now that allow you to, you know, it's called a fluid morph, where you can like take time out of an actor's performance. So if they're, if they're leaving too much of a dramatic pause, you can like you know, tighten it up because it may feel perfect on the set. And quite often it does. You watch the dailies and you're like, this is awesome. But then when the movie's put together, you're like, we've just got to we've got to put our foot on the gas and everything has to be a little bit tighter. (laughs) But it's interesting. You can over tighten it because I remember the beginning of Rogue Nation. If you if you guys see Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, it starts with that whole sequence with the A400 And, you know, Benji and Luther are talking and then Ethan runs up and jumps on the plane and the plane takes off. And I remember watching that with a test audience and going, this is going, this is too slow. So the first two and a half minutes of the film I can feel are about 10 seconds too long. So I need to, I need to take about 10 seconds out of the first two and a half minutes just to make the dialogue crackle and pop and make everything just a little bit more exciting. So then I did that pass and then we watched it again with a test audience and it was too tight because nothing landed. I could tell they weren't feeling the dramatic intention of certain beats in the story. And quite often when you're editing a movie, you do over tighten things. And then I was like, oh, shit, I need to put about seven seconds back in overall. So you're adding like six frames here and eight frames there and 12 frames just to kind of allow a little bit more air in between each line so that these things ha- can land. And then, then it worked. And then I was like, okay, I went too far. And I just... <laughs> gone back a bit, and now the sequence works and it's exciting and it plays, and you feel the dramatic intention of every line, and it all works. So, amazing. Does, does it not ruin films for you? Like, because I, one
1: thing I noticed about yeah. just even editing audio that it makes you very detail-oriented to the point where it's almost obsessive-compulsive. Yeah. Like, someone will be talking to me and I've had a conversation and they'll smack their lips and I'll just wince think, I've got to cut that out. And then I'm like, no, I'm having a conversation what are you talking about. Yeah, exactly. But like, when you watch it's a true. film,
2: do you sit there, are you wincing at some of the decisions people make? No, like, no. I, long, I'm, listen, I'm so. a I'm a movie lover. I'm like you guys. I have just loved movies since the age of seven or mm-hmm. eight, right? It's my church, quite literally. <laughs> I, I, I'm not... There's no place better for me than sitting in a movie theatre watching a movie. And we've all had experiences where films are great and you know you don't want them to end and you're just like that was a masterpiece i felt that way about dune i was like yes oh, but yes, it was one indeed. of the first films i saw back after lockdown you know we all saw tenet in imax that was the one i did see in the middle and then came back and dune was the first one i saw mm. properly with a huge audience in in an imax with that insane sound mix and the music <laughs> and, and and my wife was sitting next to me and you know she is a harsh critic, like a lot of <laughs> our wives, right? She doesn't <laughs> hold back, she, you know. <laughs> and uh, and but even she was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" Hear- yeah, it's yeah, I like it. I remember going. I, this is it. This is this is this is this is what I remember about going to the movies. This mm. incredibly immersive audio visual, just spectacular, <laughs> emotional. Like, un, it's so exciting to yeah. be back. I, you know, and then and then. Um, so, I don't, I wish every film well. I want every film mm-hmm. to be great. If movies are great, it's great for us. It's great for the industry. It's great for cinemas. Okay. So, if a film doesn't work, then you do start kind of looking at it and thinking, why isn't this working as well as, or maybe, but generally speaking, I just want to get lost in the movie and watch it. Like but that's great else, that you can you separate know. that professional part yeah. of your brain from the part that wants to be immersed in the storyline. Yeah. It's mm. very interesting. If, you're, if you really are struggling with cutting a scene during the day, quite often I'll go back and I'll watch similar kinds of scenes from other movies to like remind Mm. myself that's how they did it. And sometimes I go back right back to classic, classic movies and, and and sometimes simplicity is just the best way forward, you know, not overthinking it and just letting scenes play out or, you know, holding on, a shot of Robert Redford and hearing the dialogue off screen. I was watching the Great Waldo Pepper the other day, and mm. you know that that that's a, a kind of under-sung George Roy Hill film. But it, it's insane. It, it, technically, it's astonishing what they did back back then in that movie. Um, but I wanted to see it just to remind myself of like a classic film based around a movie star and how you cut a movie where you're featuring, you know. Robert Redford at his prime, you know, in a film. And so, anyway, that's not, it's as a nerd, sometimes I do that, is what I'm saying. Like, I go back and I watch. Scenes to, to classic movies to watch how they were cut. But. See,
0: I don't go back and listen to other podcasts because it would just depress the hell out <laughs> yeah, of me if yeah. I if, if I was yeah. doing that. But it's it's been it's been fascinating hearing a lot of stuff because James and I are like editing brothers in arms. We will text yeah. each other. <laughs>
1: We've got like a support our, group. Yeah, yeah. Our, yeah. Our, our totally miseries.
0: We know everybody's tells. Everybody has a tell. <laughs> yeah. Jimbo, you're talking about lip smacking. That is yours. You <laughs> lip oh. smack and you sniff the hell out. I do ums and ahs yeah, all yeah, over yeah. the place. Yeah. Helen will bang the microphone. There's yeah. all sorts of stuff going on. But, John's only got one arm at the moment, so he doesn't really have a Know <laughs> uh, as as things stand, but we 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 support each other, and we do that thing. If we do, it was a a little bit of finessing, or or we make an edit appear seamless to us. But I'm sure you could tell that we've we've you know trampled all over some stuff we have you I've just really is a four star film <laughs> yes well I just I took I took a laugh from here you did and that I put once. it there. I remember you did that once you
1: absolute bellied. You didn't you insert a joke into the podcast I and then you a found joke. a laugh from
0: elsewhere and gave yep. yourself the
3: laugh to go yep. after the inserted that joke is exactly that is exactly <laughs> what I did you're a
0: monster that's exactly what I did I thought of a better button I thought of a better button for the end of a podcast uh, I can't do it from here because the sound quality doesn't quite match up I can't I can't, re- I can't redub now uh, mm. because of the, the the microphone setup here. But whenever we're recording stuff remotely, uh, you know, I sound the same whether I'm recording remotely or whether I'm just overdubbing. So I would just overdub a better joke, and then because no one laughed, because obviously there is no there is no there was no joke, I would just go right. There's a bit of Helen and James laughing. I will just take that and put it here. Yeah. Boom! Comic genius. Very good.
3: <laughs> Your, it, the Empire podcast will eventually just be you in different voices. Like yeah. I mean, that's pretty much himself. what it is.
0: Originally. John, let's be honest, but but listen, uh, let's get on with the uh, the listener question section of no, the that's show. That's right, we have a podcast. Yes, that's Sorry, right, to we on. have a podcast record, James. <laughs> I, so I could talk to Eddie all day long, yeah, but yeah. Uh, but we must get on with what we'll is uh, laughingly called the show. Uh, and we have a listener question, uh, very pertinent for this week. It comes from at eighty nine Monday, and he asks uh, question for the pod in anticipation of Thor: Love and Thunder this week's big release. What are the best fourth films? In a franchise,
2: Indiana Jones, obviously. Oh, I don't. don't, It's not out (laughs) yet. Yeah, I was about to say they haven't made it. Like that's ridiculous.
0: (laughs) Oh dear! If they ever make a fourth Indiana Jones film, I will be there.
2: Yeah, first (laughs)
0: in line. Okay, but they haven't, to my knowledge, made a a fourth Indiana (laughs) Jones film. Such a shame. Um, Uh, I mean, Police Academy Four, Citizens on Patrol, obviously has to be the the number one.
2: Question. Ghost Protocol, singing from the Mission Impossible hymn sheet, Ghost Protocol is pretty good. That's right, it's you for did not edit that, that no, one, right? No, okay, so you can, but you can but say. But I do like Ghost Protocol. Um, you joined with Rogue, didn't you? Or yeah, 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 with Rogue okay. Nation, exactly. Lethal Weapon 4, no. No, no, no. <laughs> I do, well, yeah.
0: it, With these things, I mean, there's always the, the, the grand, the, the big daddies of the franchises in the room. So, Bond, the fourth Bond is Thunderball. I don't like that film. It's, nice. one it's that, right. oh, it's I mean, no so error. good they made it twice. The, um, and the, the, <laughs> the second one was terrible as well. Superman 4. Superman 4, oh, the quest, the quest Mi- for peace. Milton Keynes' finest hour.
1: <laughs> I, by the way, I'm just as we're talking, I can hear the sound of a million voices cried out in terror. Uh, well, of uh, all the people just screaming, Avengers Endgame, which is obviously the correct answer to this
3: question.
0: Uh, it is technically the fourth.
3: Yeah. What's it's the fourth, fourth Avengers and, movie. The fourth MCU film though. Fourth MCU yeah, that, film is Thor. Is it Thor?
0: Thor. Thor? Is it Thor? Thor. Thor. Thor.
1: but the answer but that Is it Thor? Thor. Thor. I yeah, used to know that this. That would be the Incredible Hulk. Is the first one I Incredible Hulk. So we
0: go, we go Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2. Is it then Thor? I'm going to google it. I think it's Thor. I think it's Thor, then Cap. Yeah, and then Cap sets yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Cap because the end of Cap is the preview for yes, the for Avengers. Thor, yes. So, uh, so it is Thor and then Cap. The, that is not the answer to this question, by the way. The, <laughs> e- for either of those films, neither of them are the best film in the MCU. And in the MCU, only Avengers and Thor have so far got to the number four in yeah. their own little mini franchises. Uh, is Thor the? Is Thor Love and Thunder the best Thor movie? Not for me, but no. it's not. It's close. It's not. But I know some people who think it is better than Ragnarok. I think, it's, I think it's, it's widely accepted that Ragnarok's the best. one yes, movie, which it is, uh, in the same way that Iron Man three is the best Iron Man movie. And, and so on. Uh, but James, you know, you did your uh, your Kenobi funny. So there'll be one Kenobi. there'll be one Kenobi. That's a name We're I'm not, not no. hundred so percent.
1: No one. No one is calling Star Wars the fourth installment. Well, no, this you is, can is fuck right off. <laughs> <and> I will <laughs> fight No, no. You just stop, Jimbo. No, funny. the fourth awakens No. <laughs> it is the first film. The Phantom Menace is the fourth film, and
0: I will well, hear no discussion either on this the Either way, that is the answer. <laughs> If it's episode four, then it's episode four. New Hope, Star Wars. That is, well, actually, it's not the best in the franchise, is it? No. But the but the question hey, is, no, no, the question no,
1: is, legitimately, my favorite in the franchise. I prefer. Yeah, 21 I, I'm with you. Yes, good man. Yeah, All right, yeah, it's yeah, glorious. But okay. okay. well, the
0: question was, what are the best fourth film in a franchise? Not is there a franchise in which the fourth film is the best part? Although that is a nice sub question. the fourth
2: film in the franchise. Okay,
0: Star Trek four is very good. That Star is Trek very four. good. It's very not good. the best one. Not the
4: best
1: one. No. no, but the most sort of like it was the most sort of breakout one, wasn't it? Because it wasn't really as nerdy as the
0: other ones so and then of course if they they do make another one with the the Pine Quinto cast Carl Urban and all that 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 lot then that will also be the fourth in that mini franchise also what's the fourth Carry On (laughs) (laughs) does it matter it does Um, matter the Carry On movies are a beloved part of British cultural history um, and I wish I knew the lineup a little bit better than I do I don't think it's Carry On Screaming which again is I think Widely considered to be the best carry-on movie, but I don't think it was that one. Uh, I have a list here. The list is life. not even actually, four
1: is the Dream Master, which is not a good one. No, so that is instantly disqualified. <gasps> um,
2: Mad Max Fury Road.
0: Oh, oh yes, oh, oh, yeah, oh, that's, that's good. Mad Max Fury Road. That's good. Uh, yeah. Yes, that is the. That fault, might be the correct though? answer. It might
2: yeah. be. Although, I know Is for it than
1: Carry On Constable?
0: <laughs> <laughs> is it Fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, is the fourth Carry On movie? Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, I that's, think Mad Max Fury Road
2: is probably the answer.
0: That's a belter. Yeah. That is a belter. Yeah.
2: Oh, fan belter. I, I was thinking along Die Hard and then I was like, no, I didn't. Have- 4.0, no. No, just no. <laughs> um, Rambo, of course, is the fourth.
0: I, I I have a soft spot for that movie. It's Which one is Live Free or Die Hard? Is that, right? is that
1: four That's or that five? Four. That's four. That is four. That's the four. American title for yeah. four, yeah. isn't yeah. it? A yeah. 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 Good
0: Day to Die Hard is five. That's yeah. it, yeah. And uh, Die I Hard didn't, 4.0. I didn't like here. Rocky four. Rocky, Rocky four. four is a
3: favorite. Rocky four is maybe the m- the most fun of the Rocky. It may be the
0: most beloved. Yeah. It it must you for, you. Who's seen yeah. the new
2: version? The new I haven't, I haven't. I'm fascinated to see that. It's shorter, apparently. Well, they got rid of the robot. They got rid of the robot. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I want to see that.
0: Poor one out for Polly's Uh Yeah, I have a lot of love for, for Rocky IV. It's not... But again, the question is, not is it the best? But that's, it, a, that's a good entry. I it like was the first
2: one. one I saw at the theatre uh, in, a, in a cinema. Really? Rocky Four. yeah. My, again, my parents just didn't take me. To, <laughs> I saw them all on TV, and I remember loving them. You know, but, but it that was the first one I saw at the cinema.
0: So there's, uh, if we're talking about Bonds, again, going back to the idea of, of Thunderball being the fourth, but then there's a sub-Bond category in that there are certain Bonds, of course, who made more than four films. So the fourth film for Connery is obviously Thunderball. The fourth film for Moore is Man with the Golden Gun? No, not no. Man with the Golden Gun. Hang on, Gun. You,
2: can't, you can't break for your eyes only for your eyes, for, your, of course you can. for your eyes only. For is, your eyes only. Is, is, yeah, that might be the best one. Do
0: you think? I think The Spy Love Me oh, is pretty unsayable, yeah, no, no, isn't prob- it? Probably. Yeah. For, yeah. for more. Uh, Dalton didn't get to four, no. sadly. Lazenby didn't get to four, gladly. <laughs> and uh, uh, then we have Pierce. His last movie was his fourth. It was Dino of the Day, which I think may be the worst Bond movie of Invisible. all. Oh, oh, all. Invisible. Oh, uh, it's Is awful. It? That, that terrible windsurfing on ice oh yeah that, that was yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you have Craig's fourth which was Spectre and I don't think anyone's no. going to bat for that movie uh, necessarily uh, uh, Alien 4 anyone going for Alien Resurrection? Resurrection I liked
2: it at the time but it's not good I was still bristling that they killed Newton and Hicks at the beginning of <laughs> Alien 3 <laughs> I know am sorry I just couldn't I get know. over that I could not get over that I saw that in the cinema and I was I was. I, I carried around the frustration <laughs> and the energy the negative energy yeah. of that killing Newton Hicks in the opening credits of Alien 3. Oh, it's, it's, I still feel it. It's, it's like so depressing. Mm-hmm. You invested so much in those characters. Oh, God. The it's assembly car of Alien 3, though, <laughs> is
1: a
0: lot better. Like, a lot better.
2: But they still die. They still James. die. Like It's, it's still like,
0: unforgivable. Yeah, they go to but, a utopia at the end, and yeah. they're fine. and they're dancing But it, is, around it, it the a beach. is a much better film. This revisionism over Alien Three has to stop. It has to stop. <laughs> I know it's David Fincher, and it's a, it's a good movie, even a he would get a bat movie. for it. To be fair, he would absolutely not <laughs> go to bat for it. I, I I think he's still quite scarred by that movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's Alien and Aliens. Those are the the two big ones in that franchise. Not Alien Resurrection. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, not part
2: four. No. Apparently, no. though, in Alien Resurrection, if we're thinking about the 3 facts structure which i know is long gone but there's maybe coming scene... back maybe well, i'll tell back. you i'll tell you th- i you probably all are aware of this but when sigourney weaver throws the basketball mm, yeah. over her shoulder and it goes in the hoop that was done for real yes mm. unfortunately it breaks the frame and pops back in at the other side but yeah there's behind the scenes footage of her doing it for real and everyone just going nuts on set so if you if you want a fun yeah rabbit hole on youtube take yeah. a look at that
1: isn't it, Isn't that the reason why there's a really hard cut just
0: afterwards because Ron Perlman yeah, lost I his believe shit that's true. When <laughs> yeah, yeah, I believe that's true yeah yeah. because he's meant to be all stoic and he's like, like what yeah. the fuck I know I know
1: how do you do that how know. do you do that uh, 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 Jurassic World is a 4 it is which a which is the second best it's Jurassic
3: a, I would say so yeah I, I'd go with that uh, John, I would what, say Lost World is the second best is it yeah oh. I I just Food Lost World. I yeah. like it. Your your
1: own
0: little island nubler there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not joining you. <laughs> island Nublar.
3: Yeah. yeah island
1: Nublar.
0: <laughs> um, John, you're a big Home Alone fan. Uh, what's the fourth Home Alone movie? It's um, Home Alone <laughs> 4. Home it?
3: Alone 4. I can't remember the, what its subtitles. Is, is, is that the recent Is one? that the Holiday Heist? the holiday heist because there's one that the
0: where- Malcolm McDowell's in and you can you know there's a moment where he just cries <laughs> <laughs> like I'm I think in this movie.
3: Home Alone 4 is where they recast Kevin McAllister I think he's played by a different actor oh my god it's not very good I can't, I can't defend it I'm afraid
0: how, how much Donald
3: Trump is in that uh, none which is, none. Which is <laughs> better bad. than uh, which is good oh dear
0: okay dear. good I, yeah, just you to you clarify you're passing ass what is, are we saying um, about Goblet of
2: Fire how does that rank in the I love Goblet of Fire I love Goblet of Fire I think that might be my favourite It's one. a good one. Yeah, it's a good I, one. Think, I think Although that's I one. Although
1: I always thought Order of the Phoenix, Order of the Phoenix was, to my mind, the worst book, and yet one of the best films. Yeah. So I turned that one around quite yeah. a lot.
2: No, actually, Goblet of Fire is a good call. Mm. Jaws for the revenge? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love Tell the story about Michael Caine. The Michael Caine story is the best one. That's a great story. Where someone said, Have you ever seen Jaws for the Revenge? And he said, No, but I've seen the house it bought and it's (laughs) 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 Where he plays hoagie. Yeah. In that and the the poster
0: is one of those those classic, you know, Mm -hmm. little at the bottom of the poster is the box out of all of the, the cast's faces yeah. and he's in a special box in his own and Michael Kane as Hoagie. <laughs> just, I've always remembered that. It's such a terrible film. It's such a terrible film. <laughs> a terrible film. Uh, what about Batman's? So we get to Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin is the fourth Oof. in the... Three Stars Empire magazine.
1: Uh,
4: no. Really?
1: You know this is my first ever official contact with Empire Magazine was when I was a student and I wrote in to complain and you firebombed the office yeah. but I wrote in to complain that they gave three stars to Batman and Robin and yet they gave two stars to David Fincher's The Game which I really liked and five stars with Batman game. yeah so did I and I, so I was like so you're saying this is a whole star worse than Batman and Robin you fucking idiots by the way here's a spine <laughs> quote amazingly they
2: didn't print it what can you do
0: what can you do indeed? Batman
2: and Robin is Clooney right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. batnicles yeah.
0: nips yeah <laughs> <laughs> just listing
1: franchises yeah. now. Terminator uh, Salvation, isn't it? That's not winning
3: any awards. What's what's the fourth Predator? Is that The Predator. The Predator. Mm. Yeah, that no, that's a hard pass. It's quite a rare thing, isn't it, for a fourth film to be actually good uh, or at least to surpass the original. Mm. Well, Toy Story mm. 4 as well. Like, I thanks. actually love I well, I cried three times in Toy Story 4. The worst person alive. Well, I'm going to
0: I'm going to say a film um X-Men first class. Eddie which Oh which yes Eddie that actually is. worked on I, I, yeah that's I did first wor- met.
2: work on that yeah I loved it. that's actually yeah that's a good call that's a cracking cracking movie
0: I think it's- the first time Eddie and I met was whenever I went to LA to visit Matthew Fawn in the editing suite of that movie and I Oh I you got this in. is the
2: great story. I yeah. remember this. I remember it was a Saturday, wasn't it? It was, yeah. 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 I walked into the
0: other suite to, to interview Matthew and and there was Eddie <laughs> as well. And there on the screen was a big old freeze frame of Hugh Jackman. Yes. Yeah.
4: <laughs> His cameo, which no one knew yeah, about.
0: Yeah. Which yeah. is like, one oh, day on set.
2: <laughs> yeah. Eddie yeah. Frantically trying <laughs> <laughs> I was like, damn it, where's the clear screen button? Oh dear, that was funny. Yeah, no, that that was that was an amazing experience to work on because it was seven months of filming and then only two months before it came out at the cinema the turnaround was incredibly tight Matthew rewrote the script with Jane Goldman in the six weeks before we started rolling cameras and then Matthew cast it brilliantly like he's all his in casting is always impeccable Yeah, and and what a great cast in it you know here's a three fact structure Colin Firth was originally going to be Kevin Bacon's character
0: no yes
2: was he? Wow. and Colin Firth Matthew wanted Colin Firth to play to play kevin bacon's character and uh, there was some discussion about too many brits in the film and we <laughs> need an american actor something like that i wasn't really privy to it but uh, but kevin bacon got a call you know a few weeks before we started filming and was told to learn german because his first scene is in german yeah and he was clearly like okay who else has said no to this? Why am I getting a call so soon before cameras are rolling? But but it turned out really well, and of course the irony being that Colin Firth won the Oscar for the King's Speech, and it, he would have been the Oscar winner for at Best Actor, and then three months later, X Men First Class would have come out starring Colin Firth, but um, it was not to be. But anyway, oh that was just something we were all aware of. He won the Oscar for King's Speech that at that Academy that time, Awards. Yeah yeah. yeah yeah
0: yeah Oh my god. Yeah. Because I'd heard uh, that Mark Strong had been. Mooted for that role as well, sort of Sebastian Shaw. I keep keep wanting to say Sebastian Stan. Sebastian Shaw, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sebastian Shaw, who of course is the same name as the, isn't it? Sebastian Shaw is the the guy who plays Anakin in The Jedi. Yes. (laughs) Isn't he?
3: It is Sebastian Shaw, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Not not the
0: same guy. He is not the Black King. Yeah, uh, what, yeah. but what about uh, very very quickly before we, we move on? Uh, any kids' movie franchises? You know, any anything that's reached four? Oh, we've just had a we've ruled out Toy Story, Despicable Me. We've just had a Shrek Forever, Ice Age, Shrek Forever After. Uh, the Muppets have hit four movies. What was the fourth Muppet movie? Would have been something like. Was it Treasure Island?
2: Do you know what? I no, no. Maybe it might be Christmas Carol. I think it might be Christmas Carol. In which case, we've slam got, dunk. There,
0: we've got our answer. Yeah, I was going to go into horror films and talk about Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, the final chapter. The First of two movies in the Friday the Thirteenth franchise to have the word "final" in the title, neither of which were the final Friday the Thirteenth movie, uh, which is which is glorious. But we've got the, we've got our answer. There you go. If that's true, I'm not going to look it up. That's not ruin the moment. I'm up a Christmas Carol. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Caine is the the best fourth film As in the Hoagie. franchise. <laughs> as hokey, I think, is, uh, is that there's magic in the air. Uh, all right. Well, if you want to have your question read out in the Empire podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves, as 89 Monday found to his cost, then you can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt. Slide into my DMs or reply to any of my tweets once you've stopped laughing, of course, or just wait for Panic shout out every now and again. Hey everyone, it's Chris again, just jumping in real quick before the movie news section to let you know about something I completely forgot to mention in the podcast, which is that we are going live once more. Yes, indeed. After the triumph of episode 500 back in February, we've gone quiet on the live show front, but we're back, back, back with a vengeance on Saturday, September 10th. That is, we will be doing a live show as part of the London Podcast Festival once again at our spiritual home of King's Place in London. This won't be a takeover of King's Place like the last time we went there, but it's going to be one hell of a show. It's going to be very, very short and sharp. It's going to be 90 minutes in and out. Us, giggling Idiots, movie news, reviews, Q&As, and of course, a special guest as well. Fingers crossed. So tickets are available right now at kingsplace.co.uk. We'd love to see you there. So buy tickets. Right, back to the show. Okay, well now it is time to delve deep into this week's movie news, of which I am told there is some. Uh, is there any? Eddie, you didn't bring anything. This fine. You don't have to bring any. You brought us some some treats okay. and goodies. Okay. thank you for that. I've never had a um, what are these called? Gale cinnamon, gale
2: bun? cinnamon bun. Oh my god! Oh, the, the Holy
3: grail. Revelation.
2: The holy yeah. gale. Uh, holy gale. Uh,
3: yeah. <laughs> the Audio podcast is brought to you by gale Cinnamon buns. Oh, I wish. <laughs> yes, exactly. I wish. <laughs> please <laughs> send
0: shilling us all the mercilessly buns. for for that. Yes, please. They they are great. I do love cinnamon buns um, that's my lunch pretty much right there so Eddie is exempt from bringing in movie news but we can discuss movie news that comes up John and James do you have anything that you want to talk about we've had What's some trailers happening? haven't we so okay. the Clarks
1: 3 trailer dropped yes. this week which I watch. I am How do you cautiously think? neutral are you a fan? no so original Clarks absolutely Clarks 2 I was never a are fan Clarks of you Clarks or Clerks? Uh, well, I would say Clarks, what with me being English. But if I were interviewing Kevin Smith, I'd probably call it Clarks because he'd just look at me baffled if I said. Well, it Clarks. Well, I think he's aware he'd of... He'd just the... assume I was buying shoes. Yes. Like, it would just be weird. He's aware of the, of the difference in pronunciation, yeah. I believe. Clarks, always Clarks. Yes. Uh, Clarks, who I did not love... Uh, and class, this is very meta, obviously it feels like it plays rather close to Kevin's heart, literally in this case. Uh, because obviously Randall has a, has a heart stack, doesn't he? And so he decides he's not going to talk about movies anymore, he's going to make a movie, and he's making a movie about Dun, uh, Dante and the Quick Stop and all of that stuff. Would
0: it be funny? Remains to be seen. Don't know. I hope so. I hope, I so. hope so too. You know what, I had, uh, that movie got kicked around a lot, but I had, I had a soft spot for the Bob reboot. Um, and not just because I was on set and not just because I'm glad that Kevin Smith's still alive because mm. obviously he was touching go for a while exactly. there. And you know, I think he's, you know, he's a really, really funny guy. And you know, one of those just, you know, if you've ever been in his presence, if you've ever seen him on Comic-Con or seen any of these Q&As yeah. that he does, he's one of the sharpest minds I've ever, yeah. I've ever met. He's extraordinary. One yeah. of the funniest guys you will ever talk to. Yeah. I had a bit of a soft spot for Jens for Salabob boot because it was one of those movies that got an absolute critical drop from us as well. We gave it two stars, but it was one of those movies that you know what if you didn't like that joke it doesn't matter because here's another joke mm-hmm. coming along and something will hit and enough hit in that movie and enough of my residual affection for for Jay and Silent Bob before for the the universe universe uh, saw me over the finishing line so I was really happy when he when he announced he was doing you know, Clark's slash Clerks 3 yeah um you know and getting those guys back together again because there had been some some bad blood over the years between him and uh, and the rest of the cast and uh, so it's good to see it's good to see them back on board, and he's talking about Mallrats too at one point. Which...
1: I like Mallrats, and I know yeah. that isn't a popular opinion, but I really enjoyed it because it was one of these things where I hired it out when I was at university, and I was watching it on video, and I had no idea that it was the same director. I didn't because I just walked in, I was watching it, and then when Jay and Silent Bob turned up, I was like, "Wait, what?"
3: Yeah, and I was really, really <laughs> fucking confused. Yeah, yeah, at what was happening. I think Mallrats has had a bit of a like recent revival, hasn't it? Because there was that you know the the bit in. In, was it Captain Marvel, the, the the Stan Lee cameo where he's like reading That's right, yeah. the script yeah, from all yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, and like mm-hmm. some younger people have what is this old film from the nineties right. all about? Um yeah, I mean it is a kind of a Gen X thing, the view askew universe. It's yeah, a very I like so. there's something very it's it's very deeply held <laughs> among a certain generation of people. So it's it's quite nice that he keeps he's like dipping back into his his uh back catalogue and revisiting these characters yeah. it's
2: it's it's sweet anywhere do you stand on clerks slash clerks i really enjoyed i remember seeing the first one th- in in the theaters when it came out and thinking it was hysterically funny and i listened to a lot of kevin smith's podcasts and i listened to yeah i mean the guys i'm excited i'm excited about Clarks three you know i want to i want to i want to see it yeah are we saying could that be the fourth film in the Clark's franchise, oh. are we saying Jay and Silent Bob is number three, and Clark's no. three is actually
0: the fourth? No, because no, uh, you got you to take <laughs> into consideration the fourth <laughs> film in the in US the US universe, the universe yeah. is Dogma. Okay, yes, all right, so that's solid. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah, yeah. I'll allow that. <laughs> that's another good answer. Yeah, um, uh, and yeah, you know, there's there's some movie news. Actually, some movie news that was generated by. Empire Magazine.
2: Yeah, we're talking about Avatar. We're talking about Avatar. We're talking about Michael Mann.
0: We're talking about all yeah, sorts of stuff. Yeah, a lot of yeah.
2: breaking Avatar mm. news, which I was amazed by.
0: So, uh, What do you think of the new characters?
2: As in, obviously, we had Winslet and Sig- Sigourney Weaver too. That was the thing. Sigourney the Weaver, that was the thing mm. that blew my mind, is that she's playing a 16-year-old. I thought it was like, that's a genius way of Sixteen, right, or is it younger? Thirteen. I don't. I don't know. I think it's slightly younger. A teenager, okay. teenager right? Yeah. Teenager. Yeah. Yeah. Teenager. So, so, but what a great way of using mo- motion capture. Mm, yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. It's genius.
3: I love. I love. Genius. The reactions online have been just wonderful to yeah. to, to, to witness. Like yeah. people just saying, "James Cameron is is going absolutely completely <laughs> weird," and he's been given millions of pounds yeah. to do it, and you know. Fair play to him. Like it's great. I'm so he, excited. He's
2: it's going film. to be amazing. He's a genius. The this, guy who's made the two best sequels of all time yeah. is yeah. going yeah. to make another. <laughs> and <amazing> he's <laughs> never made a bad film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's like come on, yeah. guys. And uh, what did he In use? fact, by the way, can we have a Blu-ray release of The Abyss or even uh, better a 4K yeah. release of The Abyss? James Cameron, if you're listening, please know is, authorize yeah. <laughs> the 4K Blu-ray well, the four high, well it's deck. Aliens I want in
1: 4K, but the thing is, the, it's a really grainy print, that film, is because he's talked about this in the past. Like, I think Aliens bothers him. Yeah. Like, like the grain on Aliens well, they, bothers they him. Well, so.
2: if he really worries yeah. about it, he they can, can de- sort it out, de- degrade they? Yeah. it a bit. But yeah. The Abyss is the one where I'm like, come on, guys. I, I'm i desperate to show my kids that movie, and I don't want to show them a standard definition <laughs> PAL <laughs> DVD. Quite I want right. to show them a Blu-ray or, or a 4K. Yeah. Because I remember seeing that in the Oxford Odeon. Just... Being completely blown away. I mean, the ending, obviously, we can discuss, but but I, the newer, like the the director's cut. I agree. I love works. the. I thought. Yeah. I thought it's hugely mm. superior. Anyway, and I love Ed Harris. Who doesn't? And Mary Elizabeth mm. and Master Antonio totally fell in love with her.
0: This is all because of the new issue of Empire. Yep. Uh, we might as well get the, the shameless plug a, out of the way a little bit yep. earlier than normal uh, because the new issue is on sale right now it's new Empire Day as we are recording this. And you can probably hear the fireworks and the, <laughs> the people in the street cheering. It uh, took Eddie ages to get here today because he had to wade through <laughs> dozens <laughs> of people to get here. Uh, and on the cover is Avatar Way... Right. Is it Way of the Water? Way of the water, the, way, the way of, of water. Is it, okay, way is the way of water. The way of water. Sorry, I have got six months to get this right. <laughs> not the way of the water. The way of the water. And way is W A Y. Not
1: he's not weighing water. No, he's not weighing water. Okay. Nor is he making cheese. <laughs> okay, uh, you're fine.
0: <laughs> All right. So, 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 so I'm fully briefed. Which is good. It is an issue. <laughs> Avatar. There's an issue. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Avatar. anyway, it's a massive world exclusive. <laughs> massive on this and any other planet. It's a Pandoran exclusive. It it's an Earth exclusive. We are uh, profoundly in love with Pandora. Yes, indeed. we have opened Pandora's box and we have got lots of goodies inside. And uh, we were not on set, but we sent Ian Freer to Lightstorm. Am I right in thinking we this? In, in L.A.? And uh, he spoke to Jim Cameron and he spoke to various cast members and uh, John Landau, the film's producer. And we have the world's first word on Avatar. W- way of... The, the way of water. Yes. Avatar, the way of... Wa- Honestly, by oh, December I'm going to have this down. Avatar 2. Totally fine. Avatar 2. Much better. Much easier. Avatar 2. And there are loads of uh, little tidbits, as, as Eddie was saying. Sigourney Weaver is playing not Grace, her character from the first movie, uh, or indeed, I think a lot of people were speculating I might be playing some somehow Mother Awa or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. But she's playing Jake Sully's and Natiri's adoptive daughter, which is which is wild. I mean, Tom Hanks obviously played all the roles pretty much in the Polar Express, including the train. Uh, but this is <laughs> this is pretty damn wild. Uh, what else was in there? Uh, Jim Cameron was uh, saying to people this week that. It's three hours long, and you know it's it's fine. You should be conditioned to sit through a three hour movie, you know, without having to need Titanic a pee break. It was
2: three hours long.
3: Yeah, yeah. why are people mind, losing their brilliant. shit? It's it's mad. Yeah. Three hours is totally yeah. fine, totally fine. But Cameron was saying as well, like it's okay to have a wee. It's like, okay to have a wee if you need yeah. to get. See, it, I disagree
1: go. with that. Although having said that, like three hours in a film that's literally called The Way of Water and is set in the water, I think there could be problems. <laughs> and there. it's going to have bits where people Photo are just pouring water yeah. from one cup to another. Bring a big sippy cup with you and just stand on the seat. That's my <laughs> that's my suggestion because <laughs> yeah. I because on the one hand, like, and this is this is the thing. So I I the last time I went for a wee break in a film was uh, during Star Trek Generations during the these, uh celestial navigation day, <laughs> Whatever it was, they were an astronaut. Navigation and I missed a section of it I was traumatised by it so I now do not drink for ages before yeah, film, no, I film because I will not no, leave no, the room no, no,
0: no, no. matter yeah. what yeah I uh, also have exceptional bladder control <laughs> but, uh, but Tim Cameron as he likes me to call him uh, also said that he may not direct
2: Avatars 4 and 5 Yeah, five. yeah. yeah. and the internet lost a shit over that yeah. as well that's interesting is it Robert Rodriguez? oh god
4: <laughs> like a, no. No, he, gave, he
2: gave a gave a battle angel to Robert Rodriguez to direct yeah, he did He and did? he's learned yes. his lesson
1: yes. um, okay. emergency plumber But it's Um, one of these things, on the one hand, you don't want someone else to do them. But on the other hand, I want him to do other things as well. What if he said Peter Jackson's doing them? Would I mean, you go for that? Well, It depends. Uh, uh, would it be Would it be Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson, or Hobbit, Peter
3: Jackson? Like, what are we talking? about? Hobbit right, is it. the
2: fourth one in the Lord of the Rings oh, franchise. That's <laughs> not winning any awards. Um,
3: but I mean, I, he did say. I think in, in the piece he said that movie four is really good. He was saying it. I think it's a yeah, for stinker. Like no, get yeah. no, yeah. that one. I think the quote was, "It's a motherfucker." Uh, so I, sure I
2: definitely, I have absolute faith that these movies are going to be extraordinary to watch. Yeah, yeah. no, good, no doubt about it. So I'm I'm fully on board. But like, didn't you have that when the trailer
1: when they dropped that new trailer and you were just like, oh, I remember why I love this yeah. shit. Like these the interesting thing are is, great. I
2: actually showed Avatar to my kids because they, they watched Titanic and they could not believe it. It was in lockdown. We were doing a, you know, we did we did a lot of these kind of grown up movies because they they were what fifteen and uh, eleven. So. You know, ready to meet Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic, and then I said, "Right, and now we're going to watch Avatar," and they were just completely spellbound. For it's brilliant. And then I showed them Dances with Wolves, and that's another one. It's like over three hours long, and you're utterly gripped the entire. It's so emotional and so immersive, and And thematically basically the same film. Exactly (laughs) right. But I was I was basically and then Pocahontas. I was I was kind of like introducing them to the idea of that. You know, as as. As a storyteller, here's the same story told different ways. Yeah. You know?
0: yeah.
1: I described Avatar to James Cameron as dances with viper balls in one of the interviews we did for the magazine. <laughs> he kind that of him, that's funny. And then he just gave me a look as if to say, that's funny, never say that again. Yeah. Like, okay, <laughs> no problem, Jim.
0: <laughs> yeah. Fine. As it to say I've heard that before? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was on day four of our shoot, in fact, and I've heard of it every single day since. Uh, but I I cannot see him stepping away from four and five. He's he's in now. I he's think, in too deep. Honestly, like it probably
1: depends how they do, doesn't it? Like if if. And I don't think they will do badly at all. But if they don't perform, but what's as the expected, threshold? Well, so what, well he talks the, about that in the feature. So by the magazine, and you find out. He also I I says honestly, no.
3: he says that three is in the can. Like they've yeah, two yeah. and so, three. So, are, yeah, those are, two are, are yeah, hundred percent. But yeah.
1: beyond that, because as as also, there's no guarantees that there will be films after three. Like, let's say two and three
0: die on their asses, and I
1: can't emphasize enough, they will not. Mm. But if they did, I suspect we wouldn't see. We
0: might have at a at Fantastic Beasts situation where the there were <laughs> meant to be two more, but they've they're very quiet about those. <laughs> Um, yeah, very, very. Quiet. I don't
3: know. I, I mean, there, there's there's a perception that people uh, we we talked about this before, I'm sure, but the the perception is that that everyone's forgotten about Avatar and no one cares about it anymore. It's not true. But the the, the trailer broke records, yeah. didn't it? Like people are
1: hyped. The, for it this. is just, there is. I think there is a small demographic of bellends on the internet who think it's cool to rag on Avatar yeah. in the same way they thought it was cool to rag on Titanic. And mm-hmm. it's like it is a fucking brilliant film. Yep. And if you don't think so, you're a twat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there you have it. Uh, rejected cover lines. <laughs> <laughs> right here on the Empire Podcast uh, so there's lots of other great stuff aside the issue as well uh, I'm looking at the rest of the movie news there's very little I think most of the movie news this week we generated um, we, we, we have the, been dominating the news cycle since have, Avatar but, came you can, out. you can so. tell all this thing about the Avatar fatigue or have people forgotten Avatar mm. we've talked about it on the show we have obviously have and uh, you know we even had that fun quiz can you remember what characters from Avatar are called <laughs> Um and, you know, I think the fact that people were losing their shit over that, that stuff this week indicates that, that yes, indeed, people are still for, they're ready to go back to Pandora after all this time. But uh, there's loads of other stuff inside the issue. We have a Thor Love and Thunder uh, feature, nicely timed to read just after you've seen the film, uh, but in which I talked to Taika Waititi and Chris Hemsworth and Natalie Portman and Kevin Feige and Christian Bale and... And Tessa Thompson, and all the good people, and that's a really fun feature, so get into that. Yes, I wrote that, but despite that, it is a fun feature. Uh, another thing I wrote in this month's issue is uh, a Michael Mann feature. So Michael Mann, one of the great American film directors, and he has turned his hand to being a novelist, for he is co-writing, uh, he has co-written, rather, Heat 2, but not as a screenplay, but as a novel And it's a prequel slash sequel that, um, so you can have your Neil Macaulay cake and eat it. So you can, you know, so he plays around with the Neil Macaulay character, the Robert De Niro character from Heat. Uh, we see a younger version of Al Pacino, younger version of Fal Kilmer's character, and then it takes place. It sips forward a few years after Heat, the offensive of Heat, as well, mm. and picks up with those characters, the ones who are still standing at the end of that novel. And I had a very long chat with Michael Mann about that and all sorts of stuff. Uh, he's again fascinating, brilliant mind. Not the first time I've interviewed him, and he's one of those guys you come away going, "Wow, that was that was an education." Did in you explain itself. why he didn't call Heat 2 Hotter? Uh, I didn't. I didn't think to ask that question. Of Michael Mann, Uh, I learned from your Dances with Fiber Wolves experience. (laughs) It could have ended badly It could have ended very, very badly indeed. Uh, I've read the book. I don't know how much I can say because I'm probably under all sorts of embargo. It is very, very good. Uh, It is is not a retread of hate, uh, uh, nor is it Dances with Fiber Wolves. Uh, It does some really, really interesting things in it. And one of the things that he said to me as we were uh, talking was that he does indeed plan to make this into a movie. So it's it's not mm. quite a backdoor pilot situation, but... It's like a Godfather 2 deal. It's like a Godfather 2 deal, but it's also, you know, it's not something that, it's not a screenplay that he's been trying to get made for years and he hasn't been able to get it off the ground. This is something that legitimately started life as a novel and then along the way of writing this novel okay. with Meg Gardner... He started to think. Well, actually, you know what? I could do this. I could maybe make this into a movie. He's making, uh, he's making Ferrari next or Enzo Ferrari. I'm not mm. entirely sure what the, the title of that officially is, but he's about to start shooting on that, or has just started shooting on that. Uh, that'll be his next movie. And then, and then back into the world of of Heat. And because it only takes place a few years in and around the offense of Heat, then obviously that led to the question. You know, would you? How do you tackle? Mm casting these characters. How do you how do you tackle casting Neil Macaulay? How do you tackle mm-hmm. casting Vincent Hanna? How do you tackle casting you know Chris Shahirless and all these other characters? Because obviously De Niro Pacino's now, what, 80? De Niro's close to yeah. 80. Uh Fal Kilmer as 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 we know has had his problems with with battling cancer. Uh, are you going to go to Irishman? Or are you going to recast? And he's he's talking about recasting. So there's a fun little question. In fact, we had a, uh, a listener ask a question: like, Who would you recast? Who who would you cast right now? Pacino said as a joke, but I have to stress it was a joke. Timothy Chalamet for Finn and Hannah. He's about twenty years too young, but that's fine. Rory Kinnear in all the roles. Rory Kinnear <laughs> yep. in all the roles. Yep. <laughs> Sold. All right. Sold. Great big bloody men <laughs> having big old fights <laughs> in the middle of the street. Um, but there you go. I'm very excited about that if it happens. Uh, a Heat sequel could be on the way. And Heat 2 is out in August. Uh, any other bits of movie news or anything else in the magazine that you want to talk
3: about? There was real quick? Um, the news that uh, Taryn Edgerton, I don't know if you talked about this in the podcast last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you mean? Uh, I, well, you don't listen to the podcast, John? I, I religiously, of course. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't listen to it either, <laughs> it's <laughs> uh, I've got a, I've got a backlog. I've got a backlog. Yeah, um, you're working your way through it. Yeah, my arm. I can't listen to a podcast <laughs> with my arm. Yeah, I've only got one uh, ear. Um, <laughs> Darren Edgerton has apparently had a meeting with Kevin Feige. Have you seen this? Uh, I have. I've just seen this now. Yeah, of playing Wolverine. This is the
1: Wolverine discussion.
3: Mm. I don't. I mean, I don't know how. I th- this is obviously he's doing press for Blackbird which I've actually just watched and mm-hmm. it's very very good, good on Apple yeah. TV we
1: reviewed it on the Pilot TV podcast of course you uh, did uh, yes we, we did of course there you did
3: obligatory uh, and uh, yeah I guess he was asked about whether he would do a superhero movie and he's said yes I've you know been talking about it but I, you know I don't know how advanced that, that has got Whether <laughs> how it's-
1: would you feel Chris in particular how would you feel about Taron as Wolverine you know I love Taron I, I do know you love Taron uh, because to be fair, like like if you watch Blackbird, he is buff as fuck in that sure. show. Like he is ripped. So yeah, I can I I. This is one of these things. He's become like synonymous with with synonymous is that the word? But anyway, he's become so associated with Hugh well, Jackman now. It's hard to get away from that. But obviously, Hugh Jackman is nothing like the Wolverine in the comics.
3: How Hi. how tall is Taron Anderson This is the question.
0: He's about my height. I don't think he towers over me. Eddie, you've met Taron as yeah, well. He's worked worked. Yeah, to, yeah. Exactly. he's my height. Yeah. Eddie knows everybody's heights. He's <laughs> <laughs> like Jack Reacher. No, I, but was with thinking, I was times. thinking the
2: same thing. Yeah. He's
0: I don't. I think this questions come from someone asking him, "Would you like to play Wolverine?" Right. Rather than, yeah, rather going, than, yeah, hey, I've been meeting with yeah, Marvel yeah, yeah. about Wolverine. I don't think people do that. I they, they think the last person to do that to do something like that was Jeremy Renner uh, when I interviewed him years ago <laughs> when he had just been nominated for an Oscar for The Hurt Locker. And I got on the phone with him. You know, it's one of those things where they, they get you know the actor on the phone the, the day after. Congratulations, phone call. It's like, well, what's next for you? You know, my, ooh, might you do this crazy thing called the MCU? Well, it wasn't even the MCU back then. Might you do? There's all sorts of superhero shenanigans mm. going on. Goes, yeah. I've just met with them. Really? Okay, well what for? You know, because Captain America's ever grabbed spent. no, it's something hawkeye. Yeah, I'm, I might be yeah, you, know, you know, we've been talking about hawkeye. And so I went, woo, and wrote it up. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And that's that's never going to happen these days. You're not going to yeah. get someone you know, Tarans. you know, he's smart enough to he he knows the he knows the game. He'll yeah. be he'll be happy to go, I've been meeting with Marvel, but he's not going to go, yes. And we were talking about Wolverine. <laughs> yes. And it's a three
2: picture deal. He might have and been sneezing <laughs> about Johnny Storm oh i mean mm. i don't know i'm just thinking because uh like i do think that glenn powell would be amazing <gasps> as johnny storm but and i have no inside info at all i'm just like i remember when i saw chris evans in the original fantastic four mm-hmm. and just thinking he was so good in that and i do think that glenn powell would have a similar kind of um arrogance for which is what i think johnny storm needs yeah you know and anyway, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I'd, I'd be happy to see Glenn Powell play Johnny Storm. He'd be
0: very, very good indeed. Mm. And the good thing about the X-Men coming at the MCU is that it opens up all these roles because they're, they're running out of roles, really, yeah. For, yeah. for actors. But now they suddenly got all the X-Men mm. and all the Fantastic mm. Four. and mm. Yeah, absolutely. But Taron as, as Wolverine, I wonder if he's too young for a start. How I old think, is he? uh, He's early 30s.
2: Mm. If that. But
1: they'll, I, I kind of feel like they'll want to oh, go how the
2: same age Hugh Jackman was in the year 2000. 1999 when he yeah, was playing that's, that's true that's the very solid age. point that is very yeah. true but you're, gonna, you're not going to want to go
0: struck me as young though he's always struck me as someone who's young for his his, youth, his youthful good looks yeah you know. mm. He, mm. he feels like a younger guy although he's able to play but then John then if he grew out the, probably, out the mutton chops and stuff I think you know that would probably help so yeah true true yeah maybe I'm talking myself into this hmm <laughs> I'll get on the phone to Faggy right away, and we'll make this a I think he'd we'll be. This I go. think he'd
2: be awesome. I mean, I can't, yeah. I can't see He's why he good. wouldn't be awesome as Wolverine. People
1: just need to detach the kind of
0: attachment you have to the existing Wolverine. So you've got the it's existing Wolverine, do. and then you've got the Wolverine in the comics, who's, what, five foot two, yeah. and Taron's this nice kind of middle ground between Hugh Jackman and mm. the little cartoon mm. look. Fastball specials are back on the menu. Fastball specials. But yeah, I, well, I think I said this on last week's podcast. I see... Uh, I see Logan as like a guy who's perpetually in his fifties. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I see. You see okay. I me? Mean? Like,
1: he's 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 yeah, always he's, meant to be the older. He's supposed head. to be
2: senior. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. I get it. But
1: like, as you said, like that wasn't how they cast yeah, you initially. No. And I think they're going to want to go young because obviously you want longevity. Yeah. You do want
3: young longevity, indeed. It um, also it also kind of depends on how they introduce the X Men and and the, the concept of mutants into the MCU, mm-hmm. like how they. I, I really am fascinated to see, you know, are mutants, have they been around this whole time? Are they just suddenly, like, arriving in society? Yeah. Is it like a multiverse thing? Because
1: I thought that that's what the multiverse was going to do. It right. was going to open that up. But clearly, that was a first-base idea, and Kevin Feige plays four-dimensional chess, so he's got this whole other master plan about how this is going to work. But obviously, it can't be something that just then suddenly affects... It, it, I suppose it could affect the whole general population, but...
3: I mean, technically, mutants have been introduced in the MCU... In Doctor Strange. Uh but mm-hmm. I don't know if that's um <laughs> if that's uh if that's how it's gonna happen.
0: Well it's our first one. It's our first one, so yeah. uh, I will absolutely take that. Uh uh all right. There really genuinely is very little movie news this well, it's week. it's been fourth of
3: July, so it was of the fourth of July, yeah.
0: Happy birthday to America. Um, today we there,
3: celebrate well our done. Independence Day. There was in um, so many
1: Mays, more than one today. Uh,
3: yes, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> There, there was one bit of news out of the issue uh, did you see that tarantino um, has revealed his love for peppa pig Sorry.
1: yes i did <laughs> i did indeed tarantino is, is a great
0: big Pe- a Pe- of fan of the biggest name
3: mm. i can't imagine tarantino at peppa pig world that's just wild he said it was uh, the greatest british export of the last 10 years let me tell you what peppa pigs about <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs>
0: I would love to hear that. Reservoir pigs, yep. pig yeah. fiction. Mm. <laughs> that honestly, is bottom <laughs> 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 <laughs>
3: Apparently, oh, also his 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 kids, <laughs> glorious Herds? I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, the first the first film that his kid watched was uh, Despicable Me Two. Really? Yeah. So. That's a that's a. a off piece choice. Oh, you didn't know. you read the issue, James? It was it was in there. It was uh,
0: very, <laughs> very very pertinent information. Um, yeah, because America shut down for July fourth, we are the only we're the newsmakers this week. So the new issue of Empires on sale right now is a fantastic issue, despite the fact I wrote uh, quite a bit of it. Uh, so Thor, Love and Thunder. Uh, we have Jordan Peele uh, talking about nope which I'm very, very excited about. We have one of the first looks at the adaptation of Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, which is coming to Netflix very, very soon. We do have a very great in-depth chat with Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery, who have launched a movie podcast that I'm sure will bump this off hmm. your must-listen lists. Uh, it's talking about their their time at the video archives, the legendary video archive mm-hmm. store. Yeah. In, that
1: is an interview you do want to read. Yeah, <laughs> There's it's some fantastic. wild stuff in there.
0: Uh, you got uh, Michael Mann uh, talk about Heat and Heat Two, and how uh, How Neil Macaulay has been because Neil Macaulay, the Nero character in Heat, uh, in case you didn't know, uh, was based on a real guy, a real guy, mm-hmm. a real cri- a real yeah. criminal called Neil Macaulay, who was taken down by a cop uh, who was the the sort of Vincent Hanna equivalent in the nineteen sixties, who then went on to work with Michael Mann on Thief and told wow. him the story and and it kind of lodged in his his mind and became. Eventually, LA takedown. Very, very exciting. Uh, John defolta is in there as well. We have first looks at Andor and Mando season three and She-Hulk, attorney at law. Very excited about that and Prey. And in my section, the best section, the review section, we have Mike Hodges talked about Get Carter. Uh, We rank the Planet of the Apes movies. We talk to the directors of the, or the director, rather, and his co-writer of The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. We have John Waters in there, Adrian Brody, and much, much more. It is a cracking issue. It is available right now in all good, evil, and virtual newsagents. Get yourself to a newsagent. Okay, time now for this week's guest. As you know, on last week's show, and I think actually the week before last as well, I teased Christian Bale as uh, one of our guests for this week for Thor Love and Thunder, in which he plays Gore, the God Butcher. However, Christian Bale was uh, unavailable this week. Um, As I think Kermo de Mayo revealed on Twitter, he was unwell because he was meant to do their show as well. So um, I don't think that's letting the cat out of the bag too much. He is currently unwell and was unable to complete his interviews Uh, and we wish him all the best. Uh, with that. And, you know, Christian, if you're listening, and I'm sure you are, uh, whenever you're whenever you're feeling good, then come on the show and we'll have a chat. We'll have a chat about Gore the God Butcher and other things besides. But this week's guest, apart from Eddie, of course, is the wonderful, legendary Jenny Agutter, who 52 years ago now starred in The Railway Children, the classic children's movie directed by Lionel Jeffries, uh, based on the uh, the book by E. Nesbitt and now 52 years later the railway children have returned and Jenny Agutter is back leading this, this tale of a new generation of railway children which takes place in World War II and is a very very different movie from the first movie. She is back as Bobby, her character uh, older and wiser and leading the movie. Uh, the movie's not out until next week but you're going to hear the interview now. Jenny Agutter, of course is a, an acting legend uh, so The Railway Children effectively started her career. Weirdly enough, she actually started in a TV adaptation of The Railway Children two years before the movie, but they were completely unconnected. So The Railway Children was really the thing that Kickstarted her career in right. in so many ways. Uh, after that, she went on to work in the you know, star in the likes of Walkabout for Nick Rogue yeah. and Logan's Run and American Werewolf in London. And uh, we talk about most of those things uh, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe in which she appears in the first Avengers movie and Captain America: The Winter Soldier. And we also talk about her un credited cameo in Sam Raimi's Man as well. So uh, I spoke to her in a London hotel earlier on this week. She was an absolute delight, as you might expect. Here is the great Jenny Agutter to please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on The Emperor Podcast by the star of The Railway Children Return. Jenny Agutter, how are you?
4: I'm very well, thank you very much.
0: Excellent, excellent. Uh, so, you know, not to go too much down the, the route of Fifty-two years since the original Railway Railway Children movie. For you, it has you, but to be mentioned. It has to be mentioned. And uh, as I was waiting for you to come into this room, obviously we're doing a junket today, where you're being brought from room to room and sitting down for sometimes five minutes, sometimes twenty minutes, as we are now. Um, I what was it like back in back then in the first movie? What was the the promotion the the interviews like for the first movie?
4: Yeah, interesting. Brian Forbes was in charge of Elstree at that point, and it he was they had he had a few films coming out but he focused on the, the railway children as being a really good family film to promote and went all out to give it a lot of publicity and we had a royal premiere and i remember we we came up Shaftesbury avenue we were we were at a cinema on is it what was it the Odeon, whatever it was, the ABC? There was a cinema that had opened up, and they they wanted us to go in, in a car, saying it was only five minutes up Shaftesbury Avenue. It wasn't miles <laughs> out because clearly they felt that that wasn't quite the West End up Shaftesbury Avenue, yes. but it was. And so, though we had um, uh, Princess Margaret was there with her children, Linley um, and. Uh, And I remember seeing railway children when I went to school the next day on the. Wow. Wow. Sitting in the train and seeing people with their newspapers with, you know, we were there on the cover and I wanted to go, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me, because they obviously (laughs) didn't recognise me at all.
0: (laughs) Did it happen at all? Did you get recognised at any point? No, they
4: didn't. No, they didn't recognise me. They didn't.
0: Oh my God, that's ridiculous! Uh, even if you're pointing at yourself, going yeah, I,
4: I wanted to point at myself. <laughs> I mean, talking, yeah, I've done that. I've, I actually went on a train one time because I'd like I love going on public transports, and I was on the underground, and and I thought, oh my God, people are recognising me. I must, there must be something on television. I get getting these looks from people, and they were sort of half smiling and nodding and looking at me, and I, and then when I got off the train, I had been at the BBC that morning, and I had a badge on that said Jenny Agatha, actress. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. That'll do it. That'll hey, do it. Hey, look at me, folks. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. Next time you get on the train, bring some laminated autographs with you and just yeah, hand, hand them, them out, out to people. Yeah, and that's, that's the way to go, clearly. Uh, I imagine interviews back then were different as well. Were they well, one hour, two hour in-depth sit down things or for things like maybe I not never, just for like a walkabout? I never, until I went and, to
4: the States, come across yeah. the kind of press junket, okay. which I did when I did Logan's Run. Going back to railway children, mm-hmm. I actually, from really quite young, had a, a press, a PR, a press representative, okay. which was odd for a child to have. But it happened because the school I was at, there was um, a woman there called Bridget Espionosa, and she just said, I should have someone looking after press for me. And you know it just didn't, be, oh, okay, if that's the way one goes. And there was a man called Theo Cowan, um, who became very, very, he was very well known in the industry way back. Sad, he's no longer with us. And but he was a a very big personality. The thing that was so good about him is he looked after me as a child, and I remember him being there for my wedding. Years and years later, he always, when I was when I was young, he treated me like a child. So if I was doing interviews, and there would be a number of interviews and things coming up, it was always you're coming up for tea, you'll have buns and tea. And and he just made fun of it. He did not, it was not a responsibility. There was no weight about doing the publicity. It was all to be jolly good fun. And if I ever asked him advice about... Theo, what do you think about doing this other film? I mean, you know, and he'd say, "Well, what's the grub like? And who are the people? You know, <laughs> is it going to be fun to make?" That was the way he saw everything. I mean, he went to Cannes in a safari outfit because he just thought that's what you did. You know, you go to Cannes in a safari outfit. It was a bit of a jungle. He, had, he always gave great advice. He was really good. He but as I say, he treated everything like it was fun. Um, so I do. I did. Yeah, we did quite a lot of. In, I did quite a lot of interviews at that time. Okay. Um, but I wasn't. I didn't feel it was a big pressure.
0: And now with this movie, uh, did you find yourself and, and Sheridan Smith as well uh, with this incredible young cast in a position of the advice dispenser?
4: No, they can be the advice givers. I think one of the things that one does learn is, you know, particularly in a business that has changed radically through the years. And I started out on, you know, I did a, I did The Railway Children as black and white television yeah. um, in 1968. Um, and, and, and it the, the 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 technique has changed. Styles of doing things have changed. If I look at that, it looks very theatrical now. Although it was Julia Smith, who was a wonderful director, who who created EastEnders. Um, so yes, so working with these kids, what one wants to know is what their lives are about, what they're doing, what they're what the world is that they're in, because the world has changed so radically. Mm. Um, in the um, 50 years since I made The Railway Children. Um, so, no, I have nothing to um, offer them. In my experience will mean absolutely nothing. My music <laughs> means nothing, or except that, that there are certain pieces of music that carry on into today, fortunately, um, you know, Paul McCartney is still there.
0: He's still there. <laughs> He's
4: still there. There are certain people that are still there and they're still enjoyed. And you know, even Bob Dylan is still there with us. Um but there are other musicians as well. So I learned about their music, I learned about what's happening, about the technology, learn how to use the iPhone and the iPad properly. <laughs> so you're a sponge. <laughs> and acting is for When we were filming, it was about being able to just believe in what we were doing. And Morgan, the director, made that possible. He he set it up in such a way that we we really had a sort of freedom doing it.
0: And uh, so, so how did this come about for you? Because it's it's fascinating. I don't think, I think this might be the longest gap between an original movie and a sequel. I no, think
4: someone, it might be. No, someone, it's funny, I read about that the other day. And Disney, apparently Bambi had a 63 year gap between its sequel. Yes, and he, there was also another Disney film that had a huge gap. But yes, you're right. Fantasia I mean, had a huge gap. He, did yeah, it did. Yeah, I think the it was Lager. about 60, 60 so years. There uh, are where people, yeah. but this, it works that the, that there is a huge gap because you couldn't really. I don't think you can return to making a film of the Railway Children. And as as Gemma Rogers says, our our producer, she said she 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 she, she was surprised there hadn't been a sequel because of the place they were in and, and those railway children adventures. Um, but of course, to take it into a, another period mm. makes it much more relevant to kids today, and also actually pays homage in a different way to Nesbitt. Because I think, you know, for one thing, Nesbitt and H.G. Wells and all those people really believed in, in time travel. They really felt that we would conquer the idea of being able to be in the future. And actually, and she's written about that in books, you know, time mm. meaning nothing to be in one place, but actually belonging to other times. Mm. Mm. And this actually makes it possible because Bobby has belonged in 1905 to a world that was much more innocent, that believed in a utopia where we were trying to make a perfect world. And I think the First and Second World War destroyed that. You know, it's no yeah. longer the yeah. perfect world. And to be, in the, to be with Bobby in the Second uh, World War makes us look at history, makes us look at the world in a different way. But children can still have their adventures, but they're dealing with a harder world. They're dealing with a more difficult world. They're dealing with a world that's not unlike today with Ukraine and what's going on. But kids today are much more worldly. They're not like they were in 1905, just looking at the adventures around them there. Um, They're looking at slightly different things. So I think that that really works very well. And and lovely to have that connection with, because Lionel made a wonderful film, I think, with the railway children. Studio Canal, of course, actually own the rights to that. So to make that connection with this film which they've produced um, and to, to, to carry Bobby through as a character, I think is a good one.
0: And uh, have sequels reared their, uh, not ugly head, but have they reared their head for you in the, in the past? Uh, for example, I remember speaking to John Landis a few years ago about America Werewolf. And he said that at one point there had been talk of a sequel that would have involved revolved around, around, around Alex. So. He, he
4: if he had written a sequel um I would very happily have been involved in that because he you know he created something extraordinary with American werewolf and it would have taken his imagination to create something else and I I think it was it was talked about but then there was a sequel that they did mm. um and I didn't get involved. I think John was not. He he passed he passed that story on to somebody else to do. Right. Um, and it, it, in a way, it was very it was a very complete story. I actually couldn't really quite see it.
0: Yeah, I've been stretching it somewhat. It would be stretching <laughs> it, it, it.
4: It would be not. stretching it, yeah.
0: Well, because because memory I don't know whether memories are on your mind at the moment because of Railway Children and, and filming the sequel and having all these memories of the original flooding back. And yeah. uh you know, it's it uh, as a fan of America Werewolf, for example, it's hard for me to walk around London, walk around Piccadilly Circus and walk around Tottenham Court Road tube station and not think of that movie.
4: Yeah, sometimes I get that flash when you go down the underground. Yeah. <laughs> when when you're there and there's no one else there and you think oh <laughs> I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time yeah. is that is that grand? going to come around the corner. Yeah, um, yeah. No, he's he he creates wonderful images in that that do stay with you. And there's there is a view of of uh, London that's uh, John Landis has. Yes, yes.
0: yes. And it
4: was. It, I just you know I've been very lucky with some of the work I've done. I mean, it was it really is a I think a terrific film because normally I would say. You know, someone not says you horror movies are this a genre that you like. It's not a genre that I actually particularly enjoy because my imagination gets too caught up with them. And they're not particularly interesting to play because playing a victim or play you know is not great fun to play. But but the thing that was good about um American Werewolf was that every character in it was very, very well written. Alex was a lovely character to play, and the boys were wonderful characters. I mean, everybody in it, they were all beautifully written. Yeah, it wasn't. It was yes, of course. It was about that werewolf. It was about the horror. It was about you know the imagination and, and comedy and, and the way one sees things. It was all you know. What it was sparked by was him working in Yugoslavia um, years before as, as a runner and, and seeing these crosses at the side of the road and asking people what they were all. Oh, they were to, to to steer off the um, the, the spirits and the uh, the undead. And and he just was so fascinated that people <laughs> believed in these things, you know, and that it was possible in this in that day and age to have, you know, um, people still really, con- you know, concerned that that happened. And what happened if you did actually bring that into <laughs> into this world and have that a werewolf in London, you know? Yeah. So he he created it.
0: It's amazing. That's amazing. It's, it's such a great film. A friend of mine got married in the uh, in the pub that was the oh, Slaughtered Lamb. Slaughtered Lamb. Yeah, so. No. Yeah. But nothing bad happened. Oh, nothing God. bad happened, right, thankfully. <laughs> they uh, didn't
4: all turn and say, what's happening? Yeah. yeah,
0: you made me miss, et cetera. No, nothing <laughs> nothing like that. I don't think, anyway, I left quite early. Uh, there was a full moon that night, so I had to leave. <laughs> and, and, uh, With no one saying, beware the moon, as you can tell. Beware <laughs> the moon. Um, but I, I, you and John Landis, strangely enough, Jenny, share not a credit, but an uncredit because you're both in Sam Raimi's Man. Oh right, right. But uncredited.
4: Right. But that was I was in it because John was in it and he said did I want to you know do. <laughs> Is that how that yeah, happened? Because yeah, yeah, I've always yeah, wanted yeah, to. Know. He's always remained a friend. So okay. so he and he, and he likes he's he's always caught at the idea of having Directors in the films that you're in, and directors using each other. So he ended up in being in that uh, and did suggest me for the, for the role of the, the doctor <laughs> professor in that. Um, so I went over to do, to do that. It was just, you know, it was just a couple of days, but it was great fun to do.
0: Thank you, thank you. Because I've long wondered. I'm a big fan of that film, and it's it's always fun to see you pop up in that movie. But it's always like, how did Jenny Agutter? How
4: did I do that? I it's know. just one scene. What's, yeah. what's,
0: was there more of you, or was it just that?
4: It was just that. It was just, it was that. just that. And uh, no, it was just that one scene. You know, with the um, Liam Neeson playing the you know he as he's going round. It was a sort of Frankenstein type thing, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Really, was it? Was that um, actually
0: Liam strapped into that? Contraption? Yeah, it was.
4: Yeah, as as or was you... someone very like
0: him. <laughs> I, mean, who's, I mean, he who's was completely know?
4: covered, was so gonna, maybe yeah. it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Might have been the grip for all we know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we know. Exactly. Liam was off there yeah. gallivanting around somewhere. But oh, I also well. did
4: Red Dwarf, which was great fun you know, in terms of, of playing kind of odd characters.
0: Uh, I've just come from a, the junket I just raced here, uh, which is why i was slightly late. Apologies. Uh, from the the new Thor movie, and ah. you are also part of that Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes, please,
4: please, please get me back. I want to come back.
0: <laughs> uh, we, we need I you love back. That. We need you back. I
4: love it. I love those movies. I got a chance to work with the um, stunts team because the last when I did Winter Soldier, you know, you'd never get to read the scripts. You're not allowed to. Um, <laughs> But they said, you know, be fit. So I thought, oh, good, I get to do something. So I, I really did work on, you know, core and strength and, and all the rest of it and, and got out there and, um, and was sent off to, with a security guard to read the script and give it back to them. <laughs> and, and then they said, and I read my scene in it, which was, we know now that I, I got to beat up Robert Redford. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they said, um, no, no, we, you, won't, you won't you won't, have to do that because, you know, don't worry about that. Don't worry. It's just a stunt team. And I said, oh, no, no, you don't understand. I really, really want to do that. They said, okay, well, if you really want to, you can join the stunt team and, you know, do some part of it. So I did. And it was like going back to ballet school. You know, everything's counted out. Two, yeah. three, four, five, kick, two. Punch, two, You know, all this is like a dance, and then I saw, and they showed me how they put things together and how they would place a camera. And I then, I now, I just have this total kind of um, admiration for a really put, well put together stunt because you know what goes behind it. Yeah. And there's some very, very funny stunt in that. There's that wonderful fight in the in the elevator.
0: Yes, yes, that's great. Does
4: anyone want to step outside?
0: Yes, yes,
4: <laughs> trapped in that, and you, it's just so clever. I loved it. I love what they did.
0: That's a- I also
4: loved, you know, the difference then as well between that and working on Logan's Run in terms of, of the technology of where that's gone, because they always feel like they're behind. There's always something new. And anybody that works on a a sci-fi has to be coming in with a new technology and a new way of doing it that people haven't seen before. So there would be 10 guys sitting around a table with their computers, all working out the next way of moving forward, of, of creating some extraordinary visual um, scene. And I was, I was hologrammed for that and photographed <laughs> all the way around. And then you'd be in set with little markers and things were happening where you'd appear and disappear. Wow. Yeah. So they, they
0: have fun. you, Jenny, they have you in the computer.
4: Yeah, but, so now I don't need to act. Actually, they can just take that whole thing and just <laughs> I can put I can just you know do performances, and just sign off my name. I guess
0: no nonsense. We need you on the set, <laughs> so the campaign starts here to get you yeah. back into Thank the you. MCU. Uh, we'll get a petition on yeah. it and everything. The last thing is now railway children. They they've returned. They have definitely returned. They have returned in might a completely different
4: time. We've moved on.
0: Absolutely. Might it be? Might this be the beginning of a cinematic universe like Marvel? <laughs> You know, can we expect to see Bobby in, in more movies? As a great,
4: great grandmother. <laughs> yeah, the
0: the RCCU. Ancient,
4: do we go out into space? It's <laughs> no longer. It's the they call it the railway, and it's the Great Southern Moon Railway. I like where it. Where you you land on the moon, and yeah.
0: I like it, and beware they're the moon. finding
4: adventures there <laughs> with the strange creatures that we never realised before that belong to H.G. Wells. They actually are there on the moon.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, beware the moon, Jenny Agutter. Beware the moon. That's We're what. There that's what moon. I always we say. Don't know well, what's I, there. I can't wait for Railway Children in Space, uh, the third one. Jenny Agutter, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, indeed.
4: Thank you. Thank you. Lovely to talk to you. Likewise.
0: Okay, so that was Jenny Agutter, and we will be talking about the Railway Children return on next week's show very excited about that one but now it is time for this week's movie reviews what's happening in the multiplexes and on the silverplexes this week and really there's only one film in town it is of course brian and charles (laughs) Uh, and yet john i have not been able to see this apparently phenomenally funny british comedy you have despite your your bad arm you managed to make it to the cinema in time to
3: see brian and charles what's it like what's it about it is an absolute delight there you go Um, uh four Great stuff. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, no, it's it's wonderful. It's yeah. It's a very it's it's if you're talking about uh, counter programming to the MCU, then this is they have you
0: know, released Thor: Love and Thunder as counter programming to Brian and Charles. That's right, That's so my understanding. That's
3: right. Yes. Uh, no, it's a really wonderful, uh, quite low budget uh, British indie comedy drama. I guess you would describe it as. Um, So this comes from David Earle, who uh, is a comedian you may have seen in a lot of Ricky Gervais projects. He was in Derek, wasn't he? He was in in Derek. Afterlife. He was in Afterlife. I think he was in Cemetery Junction. Yes. Uh, And in a lot of these shows, he is playing a a variation of his comedy character, Brian Gittings, who is um, uh, a sort of heavily bespectacled, greasy-haired sort of uh, weirdo that uh, he used to perform, I think still does occasionally, uh, as a sort of stand-up character. And th- this character appears in this film as well, along with Charles Potrescu, who is a robot uh, uh, made out of a washing machine. He wears <laughs> uh, a cardigan and a bow tie. Oh uh, and I think Brian and Charles, as a comedy stand-up act as well, was um, they they performed at Edinburgh a couple of years as well, the, yeah. the two of them. Basically interacting in a very strange way. There was a short film made with with this same sort of team with director Jim Archer uh, that came out in 2017, and so this is sort of an adaptation, a uh, sort of feature length version of that short film. It's I, I mean I don't know what to say about it except that it's really sweet. It's really lovely. It's um, basically Brian is 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 in this guise. He's a kind of loner who lives by himself in this cottage in a very remote part of Wales. He doesn't really have any friends. He just spends his days like inventing things. Mm. He invents things like a a a pine cone bag, which is just a, a a bag with pine cones glued to it. Um and and an egg belt, which is just a belt <laughs> where you can keep your eggs. Uh and uh, he tries to invent a flying bicycle. I mean he it just invents useless tat essentially. Mm. Uh, and then one day he yeah he decides to invent himself a friend in a sort of you know Frankenstein's monster moment.
0: Friend.
3: He, he, <laughs> he makes a robot friend. Uh, And Charles Petrescu is just... (laughs) sorry That name makes me laugh every single time. It's such a funny name. It's such a funny character. He's such a strange sort of concoction. He speaks in this sort of very... I mean, it's a synthesized robotic voice. It's sort of like a, you know, a very British robot voice, like the speaking clock or something. And Charles Piotrescu, it talks like this. And... uh, you know he's quite an eccentric sort of figure who is is almost like a toddler he's learning about the world as he goes uh he likes dancing he likes to boil cabbages uh he's obsessed with going to honolulu i mean it's it's it, it, it's very it's very hard to describe you really sort of have to see it it's just a very silly weird film but it's really warm it's really funny mm-hmm. um it reminded me of kind of uh i guess 1970s like indie comedies like you know Hal Ashby films it's got that sort of feel to it Mm. it's very gentle and sweet it's very sort of Sundancey I think it did actually premiere at Sundance yeah Yeah. but it's just it's just lovely it's just a warm hug of a film it made me laugh a lot I was you know I I went into it feeling slightly skeptical because it is quite sort of quirky and a little bit twee but it, it totally wins you over I had such a good time with it I would say this is probably even on my Top 10 of the year mm-hmm. so far. Uh, I, I I liked it that much. Blimey so. O'Reilly.
0: Yeah. he gave us four, didn't he? Four stars. Four stars. Four yeah. stars then for Brian and Charles. I'm just looking up uh, show times for Sunday. I'm going to try and see it on Sunday uh, at my local. And uh, it's only 90 minutes long as yeah. well. Boom. Five stars then for Brian and <laughs> Charles. Uh, Eddie, do you get a chance to see films at the moment or are you, uh, you deep in the mission well, mire? I'm
2: hoping to see Elvis at any moment now. My daughter will desperately want to see Thor. She's getting dressed. She said to me, I'm getting dressed up in a suit to go and see minions, daddy. No. I think she's going to oh, get turned away if she does that. I know. She's like, they're only turning away boys. I'm a girl. I can get in there. So she's like jumping on that bandwagon. She's a
1: gentle minion. Gentleman. A gentle minion. I does, know. You're going to frisk her for bananas
2: before she goes out in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't seen Elvis yet. Desperate to see Elvis. Absolutely love Baz Luhrmann so I'm there yeah
0: I really really liked Elvis yeah. the, the more I think about it this ridiculous and overwrought and it's, it's a Baz Luhrmann film
2: yeah but it just I happens love to be love you it. know love Elvis it. as well and I'm, I'm a big Elvis yeah, fan yeah I mean so. Moulin Rouge was one of my favorite cinematic experiences oh, of my life so yeah so yeah. good yeah
3: thinking about it the editing in Elvis is actually insane like it moves at such a pace I mean the first sort of 20 minutes there must be like a thousand cuts
0: just, yeah, it's it's yeah. so like it's a whirly gig that's Ratatats, a, all his it's, movies a, but, are like the, that
2: But Mulan yeah. was like that and yeah, yeah. Strictly yeah. Ballroom was yeah. insane. Like, yeah, yeah He, he, he does did. that
0: he does this he does this thing where he he goes out of the blocks really really fast with all his movies and You yeah. have to keep up and it's just mm-hmm. all this information being bombarded at you and then all of them slow down mm-hmm. Eventually, yeah. and I don't know what it is that, that that's a You know, it's obviously a maximalist technique, but it's something that really really works for him that you know, he assaults the audience. Mm-hmm. And then if you can endure that, <laughs> then you get your reward on the other side, which mm-hmm. is the emotional kick of uh, Romeo and Juliet or Moulin oh, Rouge, Rouge or yeah. mm-hmm. or Elvis, which which really, you know, worked for me. And then obviously with Elvis, you've got the music as well. And this incredible performance from Austin Butler, which, anyway, we're not here to talk about Elvis. We're doing yeah. it, anyway. moving on. It's, it's great. You'll love it. You'll love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but moving on, the big film this week is Thor, Love and Thunder. Uh, Jimbo, as he died in the wool, fan of Thor Ragnarok this is a return obviously of Taika Waititi to the director's chair is the fourth installment of the Thor franchise The return of the strongest Avenger Strongest Avenger (laughs) Uh, The Hulk The Hulk's not in this one (laughs) and uh, you know Chris Hemsworth's back Natalie Portman is back as Dr. Jane Foster that's you got right. Tessa Thompson you've got the Guardians of the Galaxy for a limited time only <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not that they die they don't die or anything you know it's not Spoilers. like they, you know yeah mm. but they're don't, basically don't get too attached to the Guardians been in this movie is what I'm saying yeah I think that's fair
1: this course obviously picks up after Endgame uh, Thor goes through a workout regime at the beginning and gets the god bod that we all know and love uh, and then he gets entangled with Christian Bale's gore the god butcher who is not god friendly uh, and is joined by the mighty Thor aka his ex-girlfriend aka Jane Foster, Dr. Jane
0: Foster. Sorry. Dr. Jane, Dr. Foster Jane Foster went to Gloucester. Did she? Great. Uh,
1: <laughs> so, so here's the thing. So I love Ragnarok unreservedly. It is one of my all-time favourite MCU mm-hmm. films, and I think it's magnificent. I think the blending of Taika's anarchic sense of humour and Chris Hemsworth, who is a comedy genius, just works brilliantly so I was looking forward to this film so much that my expectations were almost supernova level so I think for that reason and that reason alone I think when I came out of this film I had this sort of thing I had a similar reaction I think to when you Chris went to see Multiverse of Madness where because Sam Raimi's your favorite, favorite director, you were expecting it to be this transcendental experience and then maybe you were a little bit disappointed by what you saw. And I think I had this experience here and I came out and I was like, I can't disagree with Ben's review, which I think is great and it's beautifully written. Uh, it's a really good film. It's fun. It's funny. It's got loads of great moments in it. It's got some great gags and beautiful invention in it it's extremely metal um it's mm. got heavy metal space goats what film is not improved with the presence of heavy metal space goats they've got some incredible kind of action beats they do crazy things with mjolnir which will make you gasp they do some wonderful things with the color palette as well so there's a lot of invention here i think for me the thing that let me down a little bit is i felt the plot while it worked was quite simplistic like it didn't Go anywhere I didn't expect, and it felt like it was really just there as a as a vehicle for these characters to be themselves. Interesting. Uh, I think so, it does go places. I didn't see. Expect. I see. I didn't, and I I, I didn't. I, I wanted a little more sophistication to the plot, and also I found two other things. I found the gag rate, which was solid. A lot of great g- gags in there. I thought some of them didn't quite land for me, and funnily enough, one of the critiques a lot of people have of, of Ragnarok is that they don't like the tone that the tone doesn't fit with the MCU that it's a bit stupid and normally that would be the kind of criticism I would have and I've always dismissed that because I think it works brilliantly in Ragnarok there were a couple of moments in this where I thought it maybe stepped over that line was like ah see now this tone I don't like so much and like this is a little bit absurdist I don't quite love it but all of these minor quibbles aside like it's a really good film I had a great time and I can't recommend it enough it's just not as good as
3: Ragnarok have you seen it John? I have okay um i mean i f- f- i I love Thor Ragnarok reservedly, okay um, <laughs> uh, I think it's a great film and uh, but I also I, you know was, i i think I've watched it a few times now and I, I think with each time it slightly it loses a bit of its shine, none of that is true but carry on <laughs> what it's not true my opinion it's is not, not true, true <laughs> that you don't enjoy it as much each time yes, carry on was it is it your favorite Thor though? Mm-hmm. Do you know what? I think this one might be my favourite Thor. Oh. I, I, I think this is better than, so, than so Ragnarok. Why? Like, what what, about, what uh, and, did you like more about and, this one? And, uh, because I think it it, ha- it has emotional stakes in a way that it does. Thor yep. Ragnarok t- perhaps did not. And, and you know, we talked about this, Chris, when we came out of the screening. Like I think you still have that sort of slightly glib tone. Oh, that's right. I saw um, it with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was sat next to you this time. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm Chris. I'll shake your hand.
0: nice to meet you. Um, <laughs> oh my God, no memory for these things, John.
3: We, it we're is sat, John, isn't it? <laughs> 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 Still outside that cinema for like 15 minutes. It was... Uh, we, t- we talked about our feelings. Yeah, we lived together. That's right. That's we went I'm home. your son. <laughs> oh my God. Um, no, I, I thought uh, Ragnarok had a sort of this this very glib tone Taika brings in his own sense of humor yeah. which is you know which is great and it's really refreshing and it injected uh something new into it, the Thor films which was 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 sort of lacking
1: Well I so and I always call this and Chris and I disagree but I always saw Ragnarok as being the first out and out MCU comedy yeah. like and I know you disagree uh, like Ant-Man is is absolutely it's like a, it's like an action comedy but this like Ragnarok felt like it's just a comedy uh, and tonally, I think it fit that mould. Well,
0: you know, it, it actually is pre- preceded by Homecoming, which I would argue is... is oh, I still don't see that as straight,
1: than... straight out on out anyway, comedy. Anyway, yeah. this is, that's yeah. a anyway, similar anyway, conversation. Uh, we'll do that in a little a, a, a ranking down the line. The anyway, line. Yeah, well, Still very right, Rock, yeah.
3: very good. Uh, wh- but I, th- I think it's um, perhaps suffered from... Uh, it's it's glibness, I, and I've I found that the, the with it, every watch the jokes didn't land quite as well for me. Anyway, that's that's me. No, that's um, incorrect. Apparently, <laughs> sorry, apparently sorry, I'm incorrect. Yeah. Uh, with this, I think you know y- you're you're maintaining that tone. I mean, you've got Korg who is now like narrating. Love Korg, um, and I th- I thought some of his narration was you know Tiker's doing his like high pitched voice in a way that slightly grated for me. Oh, no, I know I love. Cool it. I organist. thought it was just getting a bit too twee and and silly. Uh, uh just a little bit. But but what was interesting is introducing Natalie Portman's character and you know this sort of this sort of lost love that Thor has. They introduce em- emotional stakes yeah. um particularly with Natalie Portman's character in a number of ways. Mm. Uh in a way that I think he didn't really have in Ragnarok, um, you know, and I don't think all of that is is entirely successful. But I like that they're going for those swings. Um, it's you know it's very well performed by by everyone involved. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's, it, I, th- I think it's, it's interesting that yeah. they are, they are balancing. It that. does some genius things. Like, I love all the Guardian stuff,
1: what little there is of it. That's fantastic. And also, there is, shall we say, a very unconventional love triangle in this film. Yes. Which is nothing short of genius. <laughs> like genuinely inspired, I thought.
3: Mm. Yes. I, I, uh, I mean, I've never laughed so much at both hammers (laughs) and goats. Uh, Oh, my God. yeah. Yeah. One of the things that
0: Tiger does in this movie is I think he's deliberately trying to push the limits of what is acceptable in a running gag. Uh, how long you can continue to we do the We wouldn't know same anything about joke. that, would we, Chris? We wouldn't. Know, uh, honestly, <laughs> he has to. He has to learn at uh, the feet of the masters first. But there is there is a a running joke in this movie with some goats, space goats. You know there's space goats in this movie if you looked at the trailers or indeed bought the Lego sets. Uh, there are space goats in this movie. There's a running joke that made me laugh. Every <laughs> single time he went back to that well, and he yeah. goes to that well a lot, and he's—it's almost like he's testing your patience, like you know, testing defenses, <laughs> like the Raptors, like how how far can I do this? How much can I get away with this? And the answer is a lot, <laughs> and, and 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 the movie is a lot. It is a lot of movie. It, it is. is all the movies ever made. There's Natalie Portman when I interviewed her for the magazine. She said there's one scene in particular that is basically all the tones at once. Mm. And I think I know the scene she's talking about. And there's 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 some missteps for me uh, that I'm, I've seen it three times now, and uh, they each my 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 initial concerns are wearing off with each viewing. But I don't think I think he's doing something very interesting here. In that he's not he's deliberately making Ragnarok Part Two, but also not making Ragnarok Part Two. He's aware of the pitfalls of making Ragnarok Part Two, so he gives you all that glib, arch, drenched in irony stuff in the first hour of the movie, Um, and he says in the interview that I did with him for the magazine, Taika, that, you know, he loves Ragnarok, he thinks Ragnarok was incredibly successful, but there were things that he wanted to do in this movie. He didn't, you know, he didn't make people cry with, Thor Ragnarok, uh, you know that when Odin dies in Thor Ragnarok, it is almost entirely thrown away mm. in service of a joke, and there's something coming along later, and here's Kate Blanchett, and now she's destroying me on there, and you don't really get time for that to sit, that huge loss to sit with the characters. And and this movie does something really interesting. We're going to we're gonna do a big old spoiler special about this, like a three-hour big old deep dive into the movie. We've done something that we've never done before, and I think we're going to do it a lot f- from now on. Uh, we ripped off the Anfield Wrap, and we were doing a post-match slash post-movie pod immediately after the screening the other night. We came into the studio near the cinema, and we recorded 45 minutes or so of just an like, immediate reaction to, to, the, to, the, uh, to the film. So there's lots of deep dives in the film coming your way, in which we'll get into the specifics of what he does. But suffice it to say that the first half is Ragnarok Part 2. The second half is not. And the second half goes into a slightly darker, more serious territory. And the irony is parked. And it, you know he, he wants to hit you in the feels. And for me it hit me in the feels every single time this movie has hit me in the feels. I've watched it now and I'm going to see it again this weekend with my wife and I expect it to hit me in the feels again when, I, when I'm watching that. There's there's real maturity to the relationship between Thor and Jane. There's there's lots of, you know, mileage on the clock now between those two and it's one of those things like going back to Robbie Collins' great line and his review for um, Captain America Civil War, it's, you know, uh, it's detonating emotional bombs that you didn't even know were there and so you know, you, you know you've got your affiliations to these characters from the first Thor back in 2011 and you, you know Thor the Dark World and that's the last time we saw Jane and now she's back and there's there's a lot for those characters to discuss and the way they discuss it and the way they, they get over their problems is really intriguing and un, I'd say I'd say un like but he, he has this incredible ability I think to to tackle darkness within all the the glib comedy of his movies and things like Hunt for the Wilder People and and Boy and Eagle versus Shark and obviously Jojo Rabbit. I think there's a lot of that in the second half of this movie. There's a more mature and dramatic taika uh in the second half of this film. And for me, that really, really works. I know for Ben in particular, it really, really works. He was you know, he's evangelical about this movie. He loves it. I think it's in his MCU top ten. Um, you know, he <laughs> I think all of the he MCU might. movies are in his MCU this top is true. 10. <laughs> he's, he's, this is a 29 film top 10 for him. This is the 29th film in the MCU. Uh, we're now beyond... The Carry On point, I think. Maybe Carry On Columbus was the 29th. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, But we're very, very close to going past Carry On, uh, which is now the the cutoff point. We're in uncharted territory here, people. Uh, We're in the endgame now. But let me tell you, if Carry On Columbus was the 29th movie, uh, Thor Love and Thunder is much better than Carry On Columbus. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. High bar indeed. You heard it here first. Uh, I I love this movie not quite as much as Ben, who, you know, (laughs) I think would... Want to probably give it five stars, uh, but uh, yeah, it, I think four is the right, the right way to go for this. In the end, it's got a lot of great stuff, a lot of stuff that you'll love, a lot of great action sequences. Hemsworth is phenomenal, um, and it'll it, well, it got me, so maybe it'll get you as well. So four stars then for Thor: Love and Thunder. Eddie is that on your
2: to watch list? Oh, definitely, yeah, hundred percent.
0: Yeah, after Elvis though.
2: Um. Prob- mm, probably, yes. Okay, yeah. all right. I'll uh, definitely try and catch them both this weekend, though.
0: There we go. Fantastic. Well, listen, we have kept you long enough uh, from... from uh, if, if there's a scene missing when we watch Mission 7 next year, <laughs> and it just says scene missing, well, yeah. no, we're, we're the ones to blame. Great. It okay. <laughs> just goes, Eddie didn't finish this in time, because he was, <laughs> <laughs> he was bunking off to do the Empire podcast. So we'll let you get back to it. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you thank on the you. podcast. How's thank it been? You, How's you. it been, you know, seeing how the sausage is made? Tremendous fun. <laughs> Tremendous <laughs>
2: fun. Um, but the good news is, yeah. the Muppet movie, the great Muppet caper, the Muppets take Manhattan, and the uh-huh. Muppet Christmas Carol. So we were right. Four. Yeah. Yes. There but you not, go. The not Christmas Carol is the winner. The correct Four, answer. Four,
0: Love and Thunder. There you go. There is magic <laughs> in the air this evening. Oh, that's extraordinary. Great stuff. Uh, and on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun we'll be joined by... I can't believe that this is happening. John McEnroe. Is going to be on next week. You cannot be serious. (laughs) I can. (laughs) The interview was in. Uh, John McEnroe (laughs) is on next week's Empire podcast. I had the pleasure of talking to one of my uh, sporting heroes uh, a few weeks ago because a new documentary called McEnroe about, um, let me just Google it. John McEnroe is uh, is out next week. (laughs) So that's very, very exciting indeed. John McEnroe. What a year I've had. Dave Grohl, Mick Jagger, John McEnroe. <laughs> I might retire. All of those people don't work in films. Um, I know. It's like I'm getting to meet my music and sporting heroes. Yeah. If we can get Jurgen Klopp on the podcast, I say I'm <laughs> dropping the mic. I'm dropping the mic right there. That's it. There are no more worlds to conquer. When Chris saw the breadth of his domain, he wept <laughs> for there were no more worlds to conquer. And on that note, we should probably wrap it up. Uh, it is time to say goodbye to my two colleagues of such lethal cunning, one-armed Nugent. John Nugent. <laughs> Goodbye. Very well. Goodbye. Uh, James Dyer. Goodbye, Chris. On the Pilot TV podcast, there is this week. There is
1: uh, Michelle Swart the star of "The Baby," which is about a demonic baby. She's weird. All I'm hearing is like a beeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see it's what you're like... doing here.
0: No, I'm going to let you. Tell, honestly,
1: it is your platform. Yeah. No, I. You, Who? The thing is, listen to the Pilot TV podcast for the level of editing. I think, and you know, ad- <laughs> the editing is on a whole other level. Like, it's extraordinary. I had 815 hours of footage from last week's podcast. It, it feels like we've done 815 yeah.
0: hours this, this morning. So I'm going to wrap it up, Uh, Eddie Hamilton. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Indeed.
2: Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody.
0: See you next time. Uh, You're back for Mission Seven. You're you're welcome anytime. Thank you very much. Come on in with McHugh, when when we're doing our 12 hour podcast, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) try and get a word in.
2: Absolutely,
0: (laughs) it's going to be going to be a blast. Uh, And it's goodbye for me. I'm off to finish this delicious cinnamon bun from Gales. Gales. The bakers, <laughs> <laughs> a purveyor, <laughs> yeah, of fine confectionery and pastries, available somewhere. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.